Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 315th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that was definitely Travis's idea. MDG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MDG Critic on Twitter. My co-host these last six years has been Travis Allen, at Wizard Bumpin on Twitter. And taking over the co-host chair today is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we are here to help you folks make and save money, playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, James. Good evening, Cliff. And good evening, all of you. Uh, For one last time, I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by MTG Finance, (laughs) produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. I mean... If I had mtgfinance.com, boy, I'd be making use of it. Uh, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Boy, did CSI hook the pro traders up with a pretty sweet deal on some $200 Japanese uh, Neon Dynasty collector booster boxes last week. Went on sale at midnight. People used the 5% off coupon. Got a very, very hot deal indeed. So, other than that, Travis, what is on the agenda this week? Well, uh, this week we have a show in four parts. Segment one is the MTGO metagame week in review. We'll talk about two, uh, two modern events recently. Uh, our segment two, our top paper movers, the cards that have moved in price the last week, as well as our top MTGO movers. Segment three, our cards to watch. James and Cliff will give you some options for cards that you might want to add to your portfolio in the future. And finally, segment four, if it wasn't clear enough from the intro, uh, my departure. So we will be chatting a little bit about the cast and my history with finance, and uh, I will be handing over the reins officially to cliff here as a co-host of the show it has been uh my pleasure these past six years getting this all done with you and uh, hopefully it won't be the last last we see of you around here uh, some of us do have to go on a vacation occasionally well let, let, let's let's save all the the hand wringing and the <laughs> the beaches moments for the for segment four here uh if there was, uh, I was wondering like how dated the first reference would be, and beaches is exactly <laughs> the time frame. No one under thirty-five has any idea what we're talking. Precisely. About. I only referenced it because the Seinfeld episode with it came up like last week on sure. random, and it just sure. it had it in my head. That makes it so much better, buddy. Yeah. So much better. Yeah. All right. So while while Travis was gone, we had Luris get banned, and so now looking at this. You know, the, the debate that has been raging across the internet and and within our Discord was, did this ban even matter? Was it even necessary? Uh, my theory all the way along here is that the Luris ban is largely performative, that it's not going to have... That one of two things will happen. Either it doesn't have much of an effect on the format at all, in which case it didn't need to be banned, or uh, 
the format could potentially gravitate towards the decks that can still run other companions like four color uh, Omnath Yorion. And the, the verdict is the jury is still out on all this. Um, but we can take a look at the first big week of Magic Online events here, starting with the Modern Challenge on the Saturday, March 12th, which was taken down by Teamer Rhinos. We have the aforementioned four-color Omnath Yorion. This is the Elementals variant that we haven't seen much of lately in second. Grixis Shadow in third. Blue-red Murktide in fourth. Another four-color Omnath Yorion, this time uh, Sans the Elementals in fifth. Teamer Rhinos again in 6th, 4-Color Omnath Yuriana again in 7th, and Yogmoth Combo in 8th. And I've now gone from tracking the number of Luris and Yurion companions in lists off to the right of the top 8 uh, deck archetypes, and now I'm tracking how many of the legendary lands from Neon Dynasty are getting run, <laughs> since I'm utterly losing my bet with uh, uh, Ben Blyweiss over at Star City Games, who said that Boseju wasn't going to go below 20, while a bunch of the rest of us said, oh, no, no, I mean, it's a rare land and a standard set. It's got to get down towards 10. And I said, like, it could be at 8. And certainly by early summer it will be. And so far, <laughs> that card is stubbornly holding up at $24 a copy. And if you look at the number of Bosejus being run here across these two top 8s, it's not that hard to understand why. You have one to two copies in pretty much anything that's running green. Um, and that includes the Omnath list. That includes the Termer Rhinos list. That includes things like uh, the green-black Yogmoth combo that finished eighth here. Now, over in the modern super qualifier on the Sunday, we have Grixis Shadow in first, four-color Omnath Yorion in second with another two Baseju, blue-white Hammer Time, even without Luris, in third, Amulet Titan, completely unaffected by Luris, um, if anything gets a little better with Chupaseju. Blue-red Murktide with one Ottawara, because if you're not in green, then you're probably in blue, in which case you're probably running one or two of those. And then Green Tron showing up uh, in sixth with Chupaseju. Blue-red Storm being probably the most notable uh, list this week in the sense that we haven't seen this for a while, running two Ottawara. And then Burn in eighth. That makes more sense because I'm looking at this and I'm going, Bose where the hell did all these Bozejus come from? Like that land hasn't been relevant in years. And then I typed it in the scryfall. I'm like, oh yeah, they printed this again, didn't they? <laughs> well, no, you, you, yeah, you had a baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right right yeah. around the time this card landed. So not not a surprise that you're not totally up to, to speed on what's going on here. But basically it's just, it's a free roll in, in a lot of these decks. So... I do remember seeing your message with Ben, and uh, I wasn't going to wade in on the price discussion, but um, I mean, you know, as a rare land, right, you would have to assume that it can't hold the price tag of $25. It's wild. Uh, but the full set released, what was it, two weeks ago, officially? Like, uh, right? Uh, three, I forgot. Three, three weeks. You've got time, three weeks. James. You've got time. Three weeks. Because I'm... Did you, put, did you put a time frame on it, James? I said by early summer. But the... Basically, the point I was... He was kind of suggesting you could go ahead and grab these now if you need them. And it did come down from 30 to like 22 before rebounding to 24 or 25 um, on TCG Player. So there was definitely a window post his original comment to get them cheaper. But they haven't come anywhere close to the $10 price point I thought was inevitable yet. So you, I mean, it's wild for me to show up here and go, I forgot this card existed uh, because I have 
barely looked at magic cards in the last six weeks, but let me tell you about the price trajectory it's going to have. But I'm going to do just that. Uh, <laughs> I would expect here that a card like this, I missed you, buddy. It's going to sell it, if it's if it's this relevant competitively, it might sell gangbusters now. But you know, give it six, eight, twelve weeks. Everyone who kind of needed it because they were playing their local events bought a copy. More product is still kind of floating around. Like, it, there's no way. Even when was the last time a rare in a standard set held that price tag? Twenty well, and, bucks. And I anchored my Twitter comments to going even beyond a standard set. I said, take a look at, compare this to Esper Sentinel, which is a four of in multiple modern decks and just as popular in EDH as Seiju is going to be. And it's from a premium set, Modern Horizons 2, from all the way back last summer. And it's still got down under 10. So I figured, you know, there's no way. Like, you can't have a standard set. And the other thing that's going on with this set is that there is tremendous, a, a tremendous number of chase cards. You know, with the Crimson Vow, we had the Kojima Soren, which was a big deal card. But that was kind of it. Like, there's some other good cards in that set, but they're not... There's not a $2,000 variant of it, you know, being chased by Japanese collectors. Whereas in Neon Dynasty, you have Farewell, you have various versions of Kaito, you have various versions of the Wandering Emperor, you have um, Boseju in the other four legendary lands, and a whole bunch of other uh, hyper-desirable rare things like the Hidetsugu, you know, three different colors you can pull, etc., so I figured, like, the combination of all of that was going to pull this down quicker than I'm seeing. Now, the, the counterpoint is that there is essentially a supply crunch. Not that there wasn't tons of this produced, but there wasn't as much as should have been produced, given how popular the set is. The vendors that we're talking to across the globe, Asia, Europe, and North America, are saying this is either the best-selling magic set of all time in terms of standard sets for them, or extremely close to it and that the the set is overperforming singles are you know singles did very well on pre-order at ridiculous prices and continue to do well even though most of them have slipped a bit um there's a lot of cards in here that are standard and pioneer playable slash good and edh and then might have hidden potential for modern you know both people both of the plane key planeswalkers kaito and the wandering emperor even when we saw them being posting, you know, $1,000 plus price tags in Japan for the, the rarest variants, we figured that's a collector side thing. It's about the art. We didn't imagine, like nobody was saying those two Planeswalkers are going to be modern playable. But in fact, they've been tested and have top aided already in, in both cases. So uh, th there's a lot going on here. I, I still, you know, I think... You can hang the hat of how is Basaju holding this price on the combination of very broad play and green decks across multiple formats, and the set is even more popular than available supply. I mean, like, you're also overlooking what Travis said, which is that it's been available widely for just a couple of weeks, man. Well, yeah, but three, three weeks should be enough to crash a rare. It, no, it, it's, it's not. Like, this... It needs more time, and it's going to get more time, because like we were operating on a, a different sort of like. Uh, I noticed it uh, when I wrote my article for last Friday, and I was writing about um, how I've moved too soon on a lot of cards in the past like six months. 
I've been operating on a timeline of, you know, six weeks, two months, somewhere in there is where you're going to get to max supply. And that has just not been the case. Lots of things have been coming up for uh, a lot of things that I have bought. I have bought too early on. And uh, it's more like I want to be in the four to six month range before like two sets down the line instead of just waiting for the next set to come out. So I think that you are going to be fine on this bet. I will I will back you up on the pie. How's that? You said it's not soon enough. I, I strongly disagree. Look at something like the triomes out of Ikoria, which people underestimated. The They started out on pre-order 15 to 20 or so, but by May 14th, 2020, Rogren Triome, which is now the most expensive, it was down to $5.50. Likewise, a standard set rare land from a, a popular cycle and it took until it was flat for the next six months or so and then around january of the following year so about six months later six seven months later it started a slow steady climb over the next six months beyond that from five to about 10 and then since has gone 10 to 15 the, there's another factor here um to, to further neither neither opinion but just as a, a data point that at the moment across the u.s you're seeing i would say the most return to paper magic that you've seen in the last two years very good point so there might be some pent-up demand for like oh i can my store is finally running events i can finally go to them i'm actually going to buy cards now um now I I was actually just chatting with a buddy of mine. We were I had an I had a number in my head, and I said, "What do you think the total number of paper events occurring today is versus where it was in 2019?" And he said it's a he guessed 20 percent, which was dead on what I guess. So I still think we're way below. But the the point being is that I think this is the the first this set has really lined up with the return to stores across the country. I don't think that's a and big events. Yeah, too. I, I'm going to go on the record. I don't think it's a good idea at all. And we're on track to see a reversal in six to eight weeks, but <clears throat> that's all beside the point. Yeah, I mean we're we're on on the same exact page on all of that, and I think you're right. It's it's not so much uh, how much paper is being played right this moment, which is notably more, but not as you said, might be twenty, thirty, forty percent of what it used to be. It's more the anticipation of. There's so many people that believe quote unquote COVID is over, and so <laughs> they're prepping. You know, they're prepping to build decks. And and the other thing is that there's been a lot of rotation since since COVID came down. The the are especially in modern and um with the general power level even of the standard deck standard sets, but especially because of Modern Horizons 2 last summer, there are there's so much new fresh action in modern. You can build things that you could never build before and you know, you can build blue black mill now and be competitive. You've got all these archetypes that have been in the top eight for the last six months that have been, you know, are, are a direct result of that set. So there are people that are going to get to, are excited to play modern with the deck they might have been playing on Magic Online for the first time in paper, you know, since whenever. Um, so that, that all factors in. Um, bottom line, sidestepping the Besaju issue, this is the same top eight. With, and and the only trend line I see here, at least in the, the challenge on the Saturday, but not so much in the Super Qualifier, which was very diverse, uh, no one archetype in the Super Qualifier uh, had more than two copies in the top eight. 
Over in that challenge on the Saturday, you do have three Orion builds, which is about is kind of what I would expect to see the week after Lurus gets banned. Now, how this is going to play out beyond this, hard to say, but I suspect it's going to be a lot of the, you know, more of the same with things only shifting additionally as more cards are released into the format. As we get Streets of New Capenna and and uh, Brothers War and the Dominaria set and more cards are made available, then yes, archetypes will start to shift around. But I, I'm not seeing the evidence that the Lurus ban makes much of a difference in this format at all. Well... I, you know, I will take up this discussion because I was uh, a proponent for banning it previously. But I, I, that's the type of thing where I don't think you're going to see a major shockwave within a week, right? What's it been? Two weeks? I'm going to guess a week. Somewhere in the everything that I'm going to say is just going to be somewhere in the last six weeks this event occurred. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to see a major shift because people still have the same cards that they did, and it's going to take time to figure out these new lists. It basically will slightly will open up the door to playing slightly more expensive cards you like i would expect you would see the com- converted mana costs across the format tick up a little bit you might see a couple more four mana spells that you didn't see in the past and i mean you see that in the green tron list which i don't recall seeing a whole lot of before i see green tron and amulet titan in there um but the other decks that were good are still going to be good so you're not going to see like seven new archetypes week one because it takes time to figure them out and for the format to settle but i do think that um Luris was I will, I will continue to say was oppressive in terms of deck building strategies because it was so hard to to warrant playing a card that costs more than what was it two and and to wit if we move on over to segment two here the top paper movers first card on this list ranger captain of eos out of modern horizons one reprinted in the collector boosters for modern horizons two going from 18 to 26 on the back of this exact logic that uh Luris prevented people from playing three and four casting cost permanents that otherwise might have found a home in a variety of decks and some of those include season pyromancer and ranger captain of eos and indeed if we will talk further down the lit down the uh down range here uh about ranger captain as a spec uh the wandering emperor this is just the normal version out of draft and set boosters non-foil 20 to 30 dollars and this was on the back of it showing up in a modern uh, blue white list, um, earning a slot there apparently in the hands of was it Guillaume Wafotapa last week we, that we were, that we were talking about. Uh, yeah, it was one Wandering Emperor and three March of Otherworldly Light as notables winning the Modern Challenge on March sixth, um, and so then all of a sudden, Wandering Emperor premium versions and apparently non non foils as well all took another step up the price curve real early. Because now it's got it's got the potential to be a EDH and Pioneer and Standard and Modern uh, and Collector card, which is means there are three versions over a hundred dollars. Wandering Emperor seen playing Modern. Yeah, it won the challenge. Guillaume Wafotapa put it in his blue white deck last week and said it was great. Really? Listen, man, you've got it's got Flash, and Flash just makes everything so much better if you are inclined to play a reactive format like mana yeah i mean i guess if you're playing something that's holding up mana for instance anyways it's not terrible i'm i'm kind of surprised to see that i wouldn't have pegged that at the outset well Um, and and the conversation went got more interesting sam black went on twitter four or five days ago and said basically 
posited that Wandering Emperor is one of the top five planeswalkers of all time. What? I think he said top five design nope. planeswalkers, not nope. necessarily. Nope. Nope. He just said, no, he said power level. He was comparing it to Jace and Liliana the Veil. <sighs> That's how good Flash is. It's it's the I've played it in I had a blue black ninja deck in limited the other day and I splashed for the wanderer uh, off one of the blue white tap give you a life lands and a couple of other I I love hearing stories about people splashing double mana cost cards go on go on and and it was worth it like every every time I'm not I, arguing I, if it was I, worth I got it to I just love these stories every time I got to ambush with her it was nasty nasty <laughs> like she comes in and you get her use an ability right away. So she either creates a 2-2 that blocks something to their disadvantage and leaves you with the Wandering Emperor with further abilities coming up around onto your turn. So you're basically using two abilities back-to-back. Or you've destroyed... Like, I, I destroyed the Blue Dragon. And because it exiles, they didn't get the dice trigger. Like, just massive value. Um, well, I mean, you're talking about playing a Mythic into a limited environment. like Sure, sure, sure. But, but I'm just saying, like, the way that the card plays is the same in the Blue-White deck that Waffle Papa was running. He's doing the same thing. He's just doing it to Ragavan. So the, the the card was underestimated in terms of its playability. Uh, and it's not like it's going to be a four of in modern. Like, that, that's just not going to happen. But I, I think you'll continue to see it as a one or a two of in the control builds. Uh, that's wild. I, I definitely didn't peg it for that. Um, I, I'm going to use my, my, my tiny little soapbox here and say this was one of the worst lore moments in recent memory with Magic. Because they sowed the seeds for this back in War of the Spark with this, the what was it? The, it was the Wanderer, right? That was the name of the Planeswalker. And then like, oh, here's a cool, mysterious figure with some like subtle clues that people could pick up on. And you're like, oh, this is really interesting. And the longer it goes, the bigger the mystery gets. And like, who was this? This is really cool. And then they're like, surprise, it's a brand new character. Like, why would you sow the <laughs> seeds for a cool mystery and then be like, ah, it's somebody new you've never heard of. Like, what? Because there was people what? that thought that assumed it was Elspeth, and then right, assumed, right. I remember all of that. And then, and then even when we knew it was the Emperor, they assumed it was Elspeth as the Emperor. Sure, that she we, had somehow ended up there. And I remember you and I thinking it was Ugin. Like that seemed to be a theory going around yep. too. That oh yeah, what? Yeah yeah. Back. I missed that one. I, I think I recall that conversation. That was something about if you look at the art for the Wanderer card in War of the Spark, it looks like Ugin, like her whip sword looks like Ugin's tail or something. It's got it, and it's got a similar color. Her teal cloak yeah, is very yeah. similar to Ugin's exactly. color. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it, so. I am. I I cannot believe. How much time did you guys spend talking about ah, this five that minutes. I missed I it? Five yeah. it okay. Don't get me wrong. It was a stretch, but it was like ah, like there's a thing where dragons turn into humans. That's like a whole thing in yeah. certain mythos, and this is an, a mysterious character who exiles stuff, and like there's ethereal elements and a similar color pattern, and you're like, sure, I could see this, and it just. I, I don't get it. I don't know. I, whatever. This is irrelevant. I just <laughs> had to take my chance to complain about did, it. Did uh, you watch did you watch the Japanese anime explaining the relationship between Kaito and the Wandering Emperor? Okay. I'll, I'll, I watched the one where they uh fought Jin Gitaxis. I don't uh Was it the anime version that was released in Japan? Uh I, it was whatever I saw on Twitter. Okay. They, I, I don't know. It was like a two-minute clip. It was like a storied studio in Japan that's no, normally not even available for work that they that they must have shoveled some cash at to get that done. And they basically generated the best five-minute animated clip that we've ever had for Magic. Um, especially if you're very into anime 
if you're not, then probably wouldn't resonate as well. Like I don't think Travis would get as much out of it. Um, but certainly underscored that they are so, like missing out. You know, between this, that, you know, the success of that clip as a short form version of magic uh, content and the success of Critical Role on Amazon just blowing the doors off it and being like a top five thing for a month. Um, or Arcane. Yeah, Arcane 2 on Netflix. It's just ridiculous that we haven't had a good magic cartoon by this point. Like, it's not that hard to get to mar- get it to market. This doesn't even make the top five for the most ridiculous things that Wizards hasn't done to cash in on the property of magic. <laughs> well, the 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 struggles today um, from the vendor side, Ben from Star City Games posted this, was Wizards sent out promo guidance for Streets of New Capenna. Talk, I saw talk, that. Talking about a mysterious <laughs> substance called Halo. Oh my God. Uh, and suggesting that, that LGSs could... Um, either decorate with trinkets or potentially have food uh, or or drinks on hand yeah, they, that they could they refer spe- to as as this mysterious substance. Yeah, they specifically told the stores that you should serve drinks and call, but not alcohol. Yeah, just don't put it in a martini glass because you don't want to give anyone a wrong impression. But like Ben's point was, this really sounds like we're pushing drugs and like in a, in an environment that even if there's not a lot of tweens playing magic they're still in the stores and you're setting up this weird situation where their parents are wondering what's in the stuff we're giving them as as snacks and the whole thing's super weird and then i i made the point on twitter does it even get any better if you start considering that this is a demon there's a bunch of demons on this plane and they called it halo so is the deal here that it's like angel body harvesting it's the essence of angels or something that that constitutes halo that's not any better (laughs) don't worry guys it's not a drug it's cannibalism even though it's like set in like 1920s mobster themes it's just yeah just a stumble yeah this was staggering and the wizards they specifically said it should be a drink and uh then you know there was immediate backlash like this is real weird and wizards like no no no, guys you don't understand listen let's clarify it's not a drug it's just a substance that's really valuable that people take to make them better at magic it's not a bunch a drug. of mob that a bunch of mobsters it, are fighting each other right for. that's yeah that's being trafficked by illegal for by groups operating outside the law it's like mm-hmm, uh-huh sure <laughs> okay and like i saw i saw one guy's like guys chill out this isn't I mean, people aren't going to come in and see this and decide to start taking drugs and it's like well, duh yeah. like no Honestly. one was making the claim that this is going to encourage teens to go start doing drugs but like and and the moral panic over you know the arcane and and demon worshiping and all that crap from the 80s and 90s is gone but it's still a really bad look like why <laughs> just i don't it's a terrible. I, I like look. nobody thought this through. I, you might as well just hand out snorted up pixie sticks. Yeah, I think putting I think putting Seriously. drugs into into magic is just generally just going to be a bad look. I it just it's going to draw too many poor comparisons. Anyway, Seacomb Coast ZNR Expeditions <laughs> twenty to thirty dollars thirty percent gains. Uh, Padim Console of Innovation out of Kaladesh, just regular copies going two to three fifty, pushing four plus. Last I checked, that's on the back of Katori uh, builds, wanting all of their artifacts to be untargetable. I uh, I I think that I picked both of those at some point. I'm going to be a braggart this evening. 
I'm pretty sure that I have talked about both Padim and Seacrum Coast Senecar. Moving right along, we've got Sage's Reverie out of uh, Fate Reforged. Foils going from 10 to 20. That's on the back of Light Paws, um, wanting basically being a Voltron Aura's build. Not unlike, um, who's the Esper commander I run? Jeez, I'm bad with names tonight. Nope, not that one, but that's also relevant. The I'm thinking about the 1-4 guy that pulls an aura out when he attacks. Oh, Zer the Enchanter. There you go. Uh, Eidolon of Blossoms, Bab promos, buy a box promos from Theros, foils going from 6 to 12 on the back of Sithis and Goshintai, with Goshintai being the big the big thing right now. This is this is all phenomenal. This is a great show to go out on, because I if I didn't pick Seachrome Coast Expeditions, I know that I inventoried them this week. I have a couple. I remember picking Padim, and Eidolon of Blossoms was a pick of mine that I think I wrote about way back when this came out and i was like you should buy these cards and i bought a bunch of them and now they're valuable if so, you if you picked padim this foils, is good across the board i'm guessing mm-hmm. they're in real good shape the which ones padim's foils must yeah. be largely dried up let me just take it might have been last year i mean giving your artifacts hex proof is always great was I, and it was not recently but i do remember talking about that card March of Otherworldly Light out of uh, Neon Kamigawa here. Seems to be seeing a good amount of play. Let me go look up this card. This is the X1 it is. with the Sad Rabbit. Yeah. Uh, additional... I love your art descriptions, man. I'm going to miss you. <laughs> right? Am I wrong? Oh, the Sad Rabbit. Uh, I didn't say you were wrong in any way. I'm just like impressed at your gift for this travel. <laughs> Exiles permanence of value extra loss, and it gets cheaper when you uh, pitch a card. These, uh, This whole cycle seemed pretty tasty. Honestly, the rest of the cycle doesn't really seem to be doing much, but this one is is look is looking good. The, I think any path analog is probably going to be off to a good start, right? It's pretty much playing out as as we discussed on the set review, where I said it's going to split space with prismatic ending. That's more or less what's happening. The Padim foils are down to eight listings uh, between eight and eleven, and they're probably all like you're probably just supposed to buy those. That seems likely too. I mean, if the regulars are just all the way down to three fifty, get your foils while you can. Uh, then we got Rat Catcher foils out of M twenty five, four to ten dollars on the back of uh, people buying, getting a bunch of fresh rats in Neon Dynasty. Shard Phoenix JSS MSS promo foils going from five to fifteen. That's a card nobody plays anywhere, but it is a low supply ancient promo. So somebody just probably mopped up five copies and pushed things up the curve got that got that shattered uh foiling going on that is both wonderful and hard to look at starburst i think was the official term for it right starburst yeah then we've got cars the eye tyrant uh extended art out of the collector boosters for uh adventures of the forgotten realms from last summer this is moving on the back of ishin and i have in fact had the displeasure of having this swinging at me uh, in an Ishin deck already, and it indeed does work. Um, do you do you get multiple token triggers if you attack a player with multiple creatures? Uh, from Ishin or from the Kazakar? Well, from Karazakar. Whenever you attack a player, tap targets. So, she- so it's it's one or uh, more, I believe. Once per player, one, right? Yeah, once per player. Okay, yeah. Because it doesn't say one or more players. It would be once per player. Well, okay, but, if it, it, but even... 
if I attack you with two creatures, I still only get one trigger against you. Correct. Yeah. For each player you attack, you get one of these triggers. But, but, Ishin, with, it, but with Ishin, you double it. So Right, yeah. right. Ishin is really cool. If I had been around, I would have said that this was going to move some pit cardboard because he uh, he does a cool thing that's a little unique and people would be like, oh, we should go find all the cool cards that work with this. And I did not look through the notes for the last six weeks, but I'm guessing... That, there's a lot of that going not on. The, yeah, not the first card. Congratulations on your psychic abilities, Travis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hindsight is, uh, is a special thing. Biggest mover of the week, Skullcrack, Foils of Gate Crash, 16 to 80. It's been a modern burn staple for ages. It only has a single printing, and there is only one set of foils available. Not yet. No, not yet. All right, moving along to top Magic Online movers of the week. Lotus Field out of M20 going from 7 to about 9.6 tickets, 45% gains on the back of Heavy Pioneer play. Archmage's Charm out of Modern Horizons 1 going from about 19 tickets to 27, 46% gains on the back of that modern blue-white deck doing well. Brutal Cathar out of Midnight Hunt going 2.8 ticks to 4.6, that's 65% gains largely on the back of standard play in a couple of different archetypes. And then Magus of the Moon is the new hot anti-Boseju tech if you're looking for a Blood Moon effect, because its creatures are the only type that Boseju cannot kill. Um of relevance so uh you got to run magus a lot of the time now instead of blood boon there's a lot less printings of uh magus of the moon right uh i can think of at least three it's in I believe. three and a half the original future site printing ima then time spiral remastered but modern bordered and then the list is the half the list is like a third if you at best but yeah i get you so but Blood Moon's been in a bunch of things. Now is likely a good time to remind you all about the Cool Stuff Inc. Customer Rewards Program. The more you buy with our 5% off coupon, Finance 5, the closer you get to even higher rewards, including up to 15% off Magic Singles and Assorted Minis. Head on over to CoolStuffInc.com today to build your loyalty and save big. Just before we jump on over here to Cards to Watch. And I'm going to kick off my list this week with silver fur master foil promo copies these are copies that are handed out in lgs's uh, via the promo packs related to neon dynasty so they'll be available for a brief period of time and then uh, you'll have copies you know sets of copies that'll probably get posted on tcg player by lgs's that didn't give them all out and chose to sell them and between satoro and uh, Yuriko, you're looking at the fifth and sixth most built commanders this month, and there's just 37 listings of these. The there's a showcase version of this that I think has inferior art. The the art, the regular art, which is echoed on this promo version with the cooler border, uh, has a very like master splinter thing going on, which I think people will be into. And these are just two fifty to three dollars, depending on where you're snapping them off. It's a future $10 card. Um, the only downside I see to this is that if the ninja builds fade from uh, front of mind over the next six months, you could see these stall out at five, six, seven dollars and then trickle uphill for some period of time. But if a ton of Satoru and Yuriko builds uh, continue on for another two or three months, and keep in mind that there's a gap here that wasn't expected. We were supposed to be getting the Infinity set this month, and that's been moved back to Q3 or something. So there's a long, 
Yeah, so there's, there was a longer than usual gap between Neon Dynasty and the next product, Streets of New Capenna, which comes out at the end of April. Uh, and as a result, you know, these commanders are getting more breathing space than they otherwise would have. And I think that's probably enough to put this over the top. And at bare minimum, if you're building these one or the other of these ninja decks, you're going to want a copy of this for sure. And for $3, it's a no-brainer. I mean, Yuriko has been one of the top commanders like since she came out. So it is hard to argue with the ninja enabler that uh, Master Splinter is here. And, uh, you know, all, almost all the promos are, like, wonderful specs. Uh, I think I picked Naturalist a week or two ago. And I would not be surprised if we pick the enthusiastic mechanaut pretty soon. So like, I'm I'm for it. I don't have any beef with this. You're gonna have a lot of copies. Uh, you might want to wait a little longer, but I wouldn't fault you for wanting to get in while people are uh, while stores are trying to sell off their extra copies. I see that the promo here that James is talking about, which uses the same art as the pack art. Is both foil and non-foil. So I presume they're getting, what, like a 16 and 2 or something like that split at each store, right? I don't know what the numbers are. Do you know, James? I don't know off the top of my head. I, I, I know. I think the concern about supply is not unfounded, If but for the non-foils, but the foils are probably in a lot better shape just because I think most stores were only getting between 1 and 4 of those, even if you were a top-level store, I think. Maybe the top levels get a little no, bit better. I... I don't think they get a certain number of them. I think these come in the packs, like the the four card packs. You get like a land, a promo, yeah, a random foil ring. Oh, that's like how that. they're giving these out. Yeah. So I think okay. the there's I'll put it to you this way: there's twice as there's 88 listings for the near mint non foils and 37 for the foils. Okay. I I think that you're gonna. I I think that the card the one you picked here has more of the turtles thing going on. I'm impressed that. Carl refrained from putting turtle in the art someplace and, and that it wasn't in the wizard's art description. Um, I think you're, you're probably, you're going to split some demand with the showcase for, copy. Cause even if you like the other art more, which is fine, the showcase one is still kind of nifty. So you're going to split some demand, but uh, yeah, I mean, if the supply is low enough on these and ninjutsu is probably going to be popular for time and time to come, right? Like it'll just keep getting picked and picked and picked. So it, if it's not, you know, six months from now or a year from now, it could be three or four years from now. So the other the other thing that I mentioned to Cliff last week, Travis, was that Neon Dynasty being so popular, they're not going to be scared to come back to this plane. On the contrary, we'll be back here in three to five years. Yeah, I mean, we well, they, they did Ninjutsu and Ninjas in MH2, right? So it feels like we were just there, but maybe they come back to ninjas again in MH3 or another extended product because this is doing so well. So maybe two years from now, there's another ancillary product that uses ninjas as a major theme. Yeah. And, and, and I just think that Kamigawa is now officially in the standard rotation, whereas where for years, Mero was having trouble getting them to agree to go back. Yeah. I wonder if it replaces Innistrad. Feels like people are a little burnt. <laughs> feels like people are a little burned out on like Innistrad and Ravnica. I mean, Ravnica is obviously essentially being replaced with Capenna, um, and I wonder if like Innistrad or something. Like, okay, the whole werewolf zombie thing, werewolf and vampire thing is a little played out. Werewolves especially. Let's move over to ninjas and rats and spirits. Yeah, maybe. Um, my first pick this week is uh, foil extended art of the World Tree out of Kaldheim. Uh, the FE8 copies you can get for around 10 bucks a piece. 
this is another one that uh, I wrote about buying too soon. I freely admit that uh, about two months after Call Time came out, I bought a playset at like 25 each. So uh, honestly, I'm hoping for this uh, right now you can buy it at 10 and I'm hoping that people will be able to resell it at 25 sometime in the next year. It's in 20,000 EDH decks. Uh, uh, you know, 40% of all five color decks are running it. I don't understand why it's not 100%. Uh, eventually they'll give us another cycle of gods because you can put something like 38 different gods. I checked the other day for how many creatures on Scryfall have a creature type god. Uh, there is a wall of 100 copies right at $10 by our friends at the gaming company. And a couple copies a day is going to just chew that down. And so in a year, you're looking at uh, a pretty solid pick. They have 100 extended art foils. Yeah. That is they, correct. They open... Keep in mind, Kaldheim collector booster boxes at distribution level got real cheap. They yeah, were I, overproduced versus demand. I, that really puts it in the sense of scale they operate in the perspective when they have a hundred extended art foils for yeah, sale. Yeah, that that was well. It's just a rare. It's not a myth. Uh, yeah. So don't no, but the, no, it. but a foil, but a foil extended art. Any given rare foil extended art is still many collector boosters to find. I could tell you exactly how many. Give me a moment. They to, get a, a to, to, to get 100, <laughs> you're talking like six figures worth of product for sure. Um, for sure. I'm going to bite a chunk of this off. The last <laughs> the last time, because I, I own some that I paid a, like a little more than this on, but I forgot about this card for a little while, was waiting to, you know, to find its bottom. We've got to be pretty close. 68 listings. Like, I think people can take a deep breath and wait, but there aren't that many listings near 10. Like, yes, you have Gaming Company with 100 copies, but almost everybody else around them within a dollar or two is on one to four copies. And then it's up to 13, 14, and beyond. It's a, it's a future $20 to $25 card for sure. Whether that takes six months or 16, I couldn't tell you yet. But this is a card that's going to have trouble getting a reprint. It's a, it's a little bit awkward. Can't just throw the five-color good stuff land into just any old product. Certainly not as a foil extended art. I don't think this card will get another premium card, maybe for a decade. That that could easily be true, and uh, I think within a decade we'll get a secret layer version of it. Maybe I mean if Cal, I don't think Kaldheim is beloved enough that they're going to be looking to use it as a, a prominent theme in a secret layer. If they did a like special lands in a unrelated treatment, like they did for Kamigawa, where they took all the hideaway lands and gave them beautiful Japanese classical art. Mate, that, that could happen. Like, I that that could happen for sure. I could see a secret layer where they do like um, four, five, five, five color lands. They do this. They do like cascading cataracts. Sure. Rainbow, uh, rainbow cool. lands or something. The, yeah, I would, yeah, something like that. I don't see this showing up as a Kamigawa secret layer. I see these are a god secret layer or a five color secret layer. Yeah, a five color secret layer is where I would put it too. But that that being said, there are so many themes like that that this could this could be in a secret layer two years from now. It could not see anything for ten years. So I think like yeah, we're we're always going to be at the risk of the secret layer. I'm not worried about it's, that. It's it's a relative safe haven, I think. And the last time it was mentioned was back on episode two sixty six. This was uh, almost a year ago. Um, Jay Tempkin put it in as the Pro Trader selection for the non-foil version at 8 to go to 20. He was early there. You might be a little early here, but 
I like it long term. I've already been, like I said, I was already very early on this. So um, being patient to down to the ten dollar price is where I'd I'd want to be. I, I'm I'm going to snap off twenty copies, so that'll take us a fifth of the way there on TGC. I switched that. It's now TCG. <laughs> I updated the spelling on this sheet. Uh, the yeah, I mean the card is obviously popular. The the twenty thousand decks for a five color card is actually quite impressive because five color cards see a much smaller play pattern um so hitting that many is really good and i would agree that like any five color deck made from here on out seems pretty likely to play this um even if they're not playing gods uh and you know you talk about the gaming company having 100 of them which is true um or 80 by the time this cast goes live but they're 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 not committed to selling all 80 at ten dollars Right. If gaming company sells six or seven of them, someone, their AI or someone who works for them might go bump that price up. So you don't necessarily have to chew through $900 worth of this card uh, before the price moves. Also, I was wrong. Uh, there's 51 gods right now in Magic. We're going to get more for one thing. Secondly, this is the highest penetration level in five color decks of any color fixing land so pretty good um easy breezy i think so this next one we're a little late on uh ranger captain of eos old border foils were moving you know three four days ago and now you're just mopping up you can could have got them under 30 back a little ways down the road. Now, if you poke around at your local LGS or smaller stores online, you might still find some copies lying around like that. I, I picked off a $33 copy on eBay this afternoon as I was putting this together. Most of the time, you're going to be looking to pay 40 to 45 on these, and I think you're looking to get out on them around 80 The stock is drying up. They're in 16,000 decks on EDH Rack since being released in Modern Horizons 1. They have a smattering of modern play. I'm not convinced that they're going to be super staples in this post-Luris environment, but I suspect that there'll be one or two archetypes at Tier 2 where you'll see this and Season Pyromancer and so forth showing up as twos or threes at three ofs. And I think this specific version is important because they are collector booster exclusives and not particularly easy to pull out of there. Um, and Modern Horizons 2 collector booster boxes are already have already charged up to a higher price point. Very, you know, three months ago we were arranging a bunch of group buys for them. Now we can't get our hands on any more product. Seems like the the, the tap has been turned off um, on the on these OBFs. So Ranger Captain of EOS is just not going to be enough of them around another month from now for these not to end up being sixty, seventy, and then eighty dollars. I can't argue with that. I mean, especially because these are the uh, the sweet old border foil, which is uh, just, you know, it's got the nostalgia thing for people who were playing at the time. And with Luris gone, this is an amazing ass card that people should be playing. The uh, I have spoken at length over the last months about the old border cards, um, but at least the numbers are in your favor because there are three listings for near mint copies. If I'm looking at the same posting you are on TCG Player, uh, there's like 55, 75, and then 130. So if you're paying these at 45, the numbers are in your favor. Yeah, it, Europe's at like 20, 25 copies or so, and then they're going to be pushing 60 bucks as well. 
So it, it's a very narrow window here. Gonna have to move quick, but uh, the card's gonna get there. All right. Um, my other pick this week is uh, another full art foil, uh, foil extended arts of Archmage. Uh, I know that we're going to say this uh, word in different ways, and I'm sure one of us is right and one of us is wrong. Is uh, emeritus, 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 emeritus. All right. Thank you for the stereo correction. Uh, right now, you can pick them up for about six dollars here in the U.S. And uh, since it just adds a cantrip to every single spell you cast, uh, it's already in thirty thousand EDH decks. Uh, Hinata is the new one that loves it, but really any deck that comes out with, you know, blue in it and makes you want to cast spells, this is a great one to add. I did want to say Travis picked this one in episode 270. I, I, so that was... Stealing my joke. I was going to say you stole his seat and you stole his pick. <laughs> I, actually, I was pleased to find this because, like, he picked it to go, uh, you know, $8 to 16 and I'm picking 6 to 15 and this was 30 weeks ago. Yeah. So like it's had time to find its bottom, so it's clearly at the bottom. Yeah. It, so uh, grab your copies now and and have a good. This time. one's super obvious. It's like Beast Whisperer, and Travis was right when he picked it, if if a little early, and but it's a, again I, like the World Tree. It's going to end up being the foil extended art version is going to end up being money. They'll give this card out a bunch of times in non foil in commander decks, but the premium version is probably again a secret layer target for some point. Uh, indefinite point down the road. You'll see this card printed a bunch, but it won't ever be the foil extended art. Alright. Then that's where I want to be. And how many listings are we at right now on this one? Because Strixhaven uh, got, I just had just had a ton up. of product open. There are five pages of near mint foils, and in terms of who's got four or more copies, nobody has more than 23 copies. There's only six vendors with more than four. Like, you have somebody with four copies at six bucks, bucks a peach with the uh, three ninety nine shipping, so they lose money there. And then you're at 15, 17, 18, and 19 on the other walls. Yeah, so we're down to 44 listings near Mint. And there's no giant gaming company wall. If it existed, it's already been targeted. Um, I see a bunch of pro traders up towards 20. <laughs> uh, I count five just at first glance. So number one, I'm impressed that you have everybody's name memorized. Number two, how many of us are on the uh, Travis Allen Memorial plan of set a huge price and forget about it, and then when it sells, you get to dig it out of storage? Let's put it this way: there are at least seven mines in MTG Finance, both within and without Pro Trader, that are at the top end of this price point, <laughs> posting on TCG Player. So that's usually a pretty good sign that the card is headed places. Um, Getting in eight months later, <clears throat> after the last time it was discussed, at an even lower price point seems like a no-brainer to me. You want to hear something funny about that? Yes. I bought some furniture for my office and have been slowly migrating my magic collection, which was scattered all over a desk, into this, which involved having to inventory and keep track of all of these cards. And uh, I actually just opened a box from Japan that is, I don't know the total value of that box, but it's over 10 grand easily. A lot of different cards in there. 
And my method for keeping track of my inventory, because I'm trying to do this as hands-off as possible and like not wanting to micromanage, is to just list every single card on TCG Player for the price point that I would like to sell it for and just tucking it away and being done with it so that I don't ever have to like remember that I have the card and go at it. They're just all on TCG Player. And eventually one of them will sell and I will dig it out and then I will reevaluate. And if it yep. never sells, then, then it was never time to sell it. When you're when you're a busy I, when I'm you're just a busy guy, it's a, of it's a reasonable strategy for sure. The so yeah, Archmage Emeritus foil extended arts six to fifteen on a twelve month horizon seems very likely to be true. Uh, my final selection of the week is another OBF Urza Lord High Artificer old border foil. If Ranger Captain Abias is going to get there, this sure as heck is. Not only is this a tremendous edh card with 10,000 edh rec decks uh just for being included in the 99 never mind the 3,000 or so where people have built it as the commander uh it's got sweet art it's a very iconic character we're, we're getting the brothers war this year so all things related to urza's and mishra urza and mishra are likely to get a boost there's no way they're reprinting this in standard because a they just gave it to us in modern horizons 2 as a as a secondary fancy printing and B, the card is ridiculously busted. There's just no way you could print it in the standard. So Old Border Foil version of Urza, probably going to be the coolest Urza for a few years at least. We're down to 31 listings starting just under 90 bucks on TCG Player. Nobody's got major walls because these, again, these mythic uh, OBFs are not easy to pull and you can only get them out of collector booster boxes. Most of that cracking is long behind us. So I'm going to call these 90 to 150 on a 6 to 12 month horizon. And the nice thing here is both Card Kingdom and Harayuya back these purchases around 90, more or less with equivalent credit or cash. I mean, you're right. I'd forgotten about we're going to get the Brothers War, so there's going to be a whole lot of like flashback, nostalgia, um, you know, people are like, oh my god, it's got Urza on it. So anything with Urza in it, or especially Urza as a character, or do you, do you think there's a chance that a set based around Urza and Mishra will give us a lot of, like, dumb artifacts that we can tap for mana and do broken things well, with? Well, and more, to, and more to the point, you're going to get a synergistic Urza commander, 100% at Mythic, that... We're also going to get a Mishra, too, which is good, because the other Mishra sucks. Right, and then you can make these themed decks where you're going to want to include this, and by the time we get to that point, people are going to be looking at these, and they're going to be in that somewhere between 100 and 200 price point. I wonder if if they print an Urza Planeswalker into standard, I wonder if the casting cost is the highest of any Planeswalker to date. Presumably, it, you'd have to kind of imagine it would make be more than Nickel Balls, right? He's like one of the most powerful Planeswalkers in Magic history. They could also print an Urza as a creature that has mind over matter on it. Yeah. Yeah, or print him as no, a mind, mind over matter is pretty broken. You don't you don't want to reprint that in the commander product instead of the main set. Uh, with the with the brother war on the horizon, uh, the reprint risk is slightly elevated. But I would have to imagine they probably won't go back to this well. They're not going to use slots in any of their product at that point to reprint a card that they've now printed twice. They'll print new versions of Urza, and this one will definitely go up when all that crap hits because they will give you that Urza planeswalker in some or. You know, a new Urza legend in some capacity, and everyone will want to buy this and put this in their deck. Uh, so I think it's a solid choice. I kind of am curious about the retro, the or I'm sorry, the uh, etched, etched, the foil yeah. etched, 
because those are 60 bucks. So you're buying at 33% off, 38 vendors. Looks like there are, someone's got five, three, seven. Still relatively limited inventory. Nothing over seven, it looks like. Um, so I don't think that, I think the 90 to 50 is solid. I think you're probably going to hit that target. Uh, and I wonder if the etched is also an option. Have you seen the uh, the etched for, for these old border foils? Like, sure, not. not. I have it. I have it on my desk. Like, I have this literal card in front of me. The the etched foils fine, not amazing. Fine. Uh, the more the, the etched treatments in Neon Dynasty are superior for sure. Um, but I suspect the etched foil Urzas will move up in lockstep, chasing the OBF foils because it's still an OBF. It's just a weirder foil treatment. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of wild to imagine the normal, the retro foils will be 150 and the retro etched foils will be 60, right? Like That does seem pretty unlikely, yeah. Yeah. I don't see them being a third of the price. And the foil etched inventory is something like 46 listings, including all rarities. And if we look at near mint only, we're down to 38. And no major walls there either. I guess the card house has seven copies, and that's about it. And there's a relatively steep ramp forming there as well. So I, but if these go to 150, then the etch probably push 80 to 100. Yeah, that seems about right. If they're holding at two thirds of the price now, you know, unless there's some huge run on Urza, some brand new busted combo, which is entirely possible when you have you know abilities that allow for the tapping of mana this way. You know, it could do something outrageous. Yeah, two-thirds of the price puts these at 100. All right, so we'll but, move on. But good choices across the board. Moving on over to our Pro Trader selection of the week, we've got Satoru Umazawa, the buy-a-box promo version that has the art by the artist of Metal Gear Solid. Um, absolutely incredible art. Definitely my preferred art for the card and all of the art related to this character has been good but this is especially good um you can pick these up around four dollars in europe and i think you could probably end up by listing them to card kingdom at some point at eight as opposed to trying to sell them at you know 10 to 14 individually or something the ck buy list almost covers cost at present and it's the number six commander right now and if you're building yuriko which is the number five commander it slots in there as well any ninja deck you ever build in the future, you're going to run this card. Every time I have it, I get it in draft. The deck is immediately better. Every time I've played it in my Satoru EDH build, when it's on the table, it makes all the difference. So it's it's going to be 90 to 100% of ninja decks running this card, either as the commander or in the 99. I'm always amazed that you find time for like, EDH games online, given your schedule and what's going on there. It's like 10 p.m. on a I'm 10 p.m. on super... a Saturday. Even even somebody with as many uh, fingers in as many pots as me still does have some downtime. Uh, I think this is slam dunk. Especially you can get it, you know, at this Europe price. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, the buy list is already there. The art is phenomenal. Uh, is it the same artist who did the um, the Toshiro Saga? Do you know? It's similar looking, but I don't think it is. 
I, I he's expensive, so I suspect that it was a one one time thing. Uh, but but Scryfall shows only one card by uh, this guy. By the way, Travis, uh, you probably missed this in the Discord. Uh, we had a pretty big uh, group buy on Japanese set booster boxes out of Asia, and largely and this was when you could get the boxes for 100 to 110 on amazon because japanese russian and korean boxes of neon dynasty all showed up there uh during pre-order season and so some of our people just got amazon boxes some of our people just decided to pay about the same or a little little more depending on when they got in on it to order these things from asia because we were promised that some of the orders would get the weird little top loaders that come in a silver uh, package sleeve on the minuscule chance that one of us might win a one of 20 signed version of one of these cards uh, that comes in a plaque that was a APAC region exclusive. There was uh, 20 of them made for Satoru Umazawa with this art. There was 20 made for the completed version of Tamiyo, and there was 20 made for, I believe it's the Wandering Emperor, um, if I'm not mistaken, showcase version. So I got mine, opened my little sleeve, got a weird little top loader and nothing else. One of the other orders from a pro trader, he pops his open and kicks me a picture of his Willy Wonka winning golden ticket thing with a scratch off code that he has to go enter at a website in japan so he has won one of the rarest magic cards of the of ever really it's a one of 20 so other than thing other than things like the richard garfield wedding invitation cards uh or the 1996 world championship card that's stuck in the trophy very few things or the dragon yeah very few things touch (laughs) the rarity of this thing he just gained access to that card's not in the trophy they split it and sold it um i did see you tweet about that i didn't I, I saw you tweet and i'm like i don't know what card that is i'm like i don't know what just happened uh so i'm cu- i'm curious does it's this little packet that gets that was that it was included like a mini booster pack so what do you open it and it has a voucher code and you plug that in and then they send you the the real card well it's in a plaque like it comes in this like one of 20 like dated plaque thing, which is amazing for him when he decides to address this on the high end Facebook group and or an eBay auction. Because nothing, nothing says like that you've established the history of the collectible, like the official marketing accoutrement that it is screwed into where nobody in the planet except the 60 people that are getting these has ever laid hands on one of these things to be able to fake them or recreate them in some way. It's definitely not going to require the kind of scrutiny you would put on, say trying to sell an alpha black Lotus BGS graded. Okay. But I'm saying like they didn't, he didn't open a package and somehow have a plaque in there. He got a code. And then when he redeems a code, they will send him the plaque, a code and a URL to a secret little website to go to fill it in and claim. And it does need to be claimed domestically in Japan. So, oh. so he just so happens that that <laughs> he, he has family members that are Japanese. So he's he's in position to reap what he has sown. Um, now, now, see if I'm him, I am not redeeming the code, and I'm charging a premium that the person who does it gets to go to the website and plug the code in. 
<laughs> and marketing and also including the fact that like <clears throat> I'm gonna sell this as part of the deal, you get to go to the secret little website and plug the code in, but you can have it shipped to my parents and I'll send it to you. It would require, I mean, we'd have to get into the finer details about like whether you'd be able to drive enough hype on the price of the object without having it in hand, et cetera. But yeah, there, there's something there. The 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 other thing I, I pointed out when we were discussing this in the ProTrader Discord was not all 60 of these are going to be found and ordered because a bunch of fools are going to crack these little silver things open and just or forget about them on their desk and throw them out or crack well, them or crack them and not realize it's not just an arena code because they haven't heard of the pr- promotion and some percentage of them are just going to be lost what so hold on what this little packet came with you buy orders of- if you bought a set booster box at your lgs before they ran out Oh, okay. Because I'm thinking they were with the CBs, in which case I'm like, ah, everyone who buys the CB is going to crack this. But set booster boxes, maybe no, not. No, no, no. But they're not in the boxes. They're included with them. Right, right, right. You're, I, I just mean your, like... Your if, LGS hands you one, but each LGS only got a small number of them. Right. I'm saying like if if these were included in purchases of CBs, I would say you're probably going to see all 60 because the type of person to buy a CB is going to open this and look at it. But set booster box is another story. Um, so maybe you do lose one or two well, to and, uh, and, someone forgetting. And more to the point, he's the only person in the world I'm aware of that has opened any of them. Now, we're not tuned into the Japanese scene, but you would think somebody, but you would think that somebody like this, you know, Haruyo or one of the other major operators in Japan, if it was one of their people that found it, they would report it to them. They would then want to use that for promo you know, they bought it from our store or whatever. None of that's gone on, to my knowledge. Like, we would, we probably would have seen it. So, and I definitely haven't seen any of them show up on the high-end group. So... There's uh, two... Or on eBay. Um, well, I was going to say, there's two Japanese set booster boxes with the uh, Japanese promo version of Satoru and the, the sealed-up silver packet. They're both about 350 on eBay. So here's the thing. The, the sealed-up silver packets can be searched. Oh really? Yeah. So <laughs> you would you would think they've learned that it, lesson by now. I I opened mine and like it would be difficult to search them, but probably about as difficult as searching like an Arabian Nights pack or something. For anyone, I guess for anyone who doesn't know, they're old the real old packs, Alpha Beta, Unlimited, Arabian Nights, everything before Ice Age. Yeah, you could if you put it in the right lighting, you could see the cards through the packaging without having opened it. Because at the top and bottom of the package were white plastic, so you could yeah, shine which is them. yeah, which is why buying sealed product of that is so hard because there's a good chance somebody already shined the light through it to look for any valuable cards. So long story short, the pro traders collectively paid $6,969 for the number 69 of 100 Viscera Seer promo foil. (laughs) This is a one of 20 of the the Metal Gear Solid artist signed Satoru Umozawa for one of the most popular sets of all time. So what is this plaque worth? Like, I, I I was talking to the pro trader about, it and I said this has got to be at least five to ten thousand, and it might just be ten to twenty. Well, the first one to sell gets to set the price, like the first one of the uh, well, and the first one this receivers and the first one tends to sell for a lot. 
because the price hasn't been isn't anchored by any other price. So going to be very very interesting to see how this plays out once he gets it in hand. I, I if I lived in Japan and I were an enterprising individual, I would get my hands on just one of the normal cards and then I would hunt this man down and get him to sign it for me. <laughs> just like a normal one, just a normal Satoru Mozawa and be like, will you sign this for me? And then be like, look guys, I have a one of one. Yeah. N- not sure it would play out quite the way you're hoping, <laughs> but the, yeah, I mean this unprecedented. So you suffice to say his pro trader is paid for, for until he probably dies. Yeah. Well, uh, in any case, the the pick itself here, um, the, I mean, from the release, the price is cratered from fifteen to it looks like now it's about seven fifty. Uh, nifty looking card, definitely in virtually one hundred percent of all ninjutsu decks from here until time immemorial. Um, and he wants, I mean, they're seven fifty at a closer to eight bucks on TCG Player, and he's getting them for four in Europe. So that's just a numbers play. Like, yep, you sure are getting them for very cheap compared to what you can pay in America. It was a reasonable inventory, um, but four dollars is cheap enough that like it's unlikely the America the copies in America will shed enough value to get below four dollars. Yeah, there's no way. There's just yeah, it's not going to happen. There's a lot of copies of this card though. Like like it versions. I'm not arguing of this there's card. a lot of copies, but we're talking the buy a box version, and like you got to buy it in person, or you got to buy it from the stores that are yeah, you know, selling out their inventory on, online. And the thing is that these are very front loaded in terms of their distribution, as opposed to things you can pull out of set booster boxes or collector booster boxes. Set booster boxes, especially, there's going to be more waves of that for Neon Dynasty given its popularity. So there has to be some downward price pressure on this, the contents therein, but. Harayuya's buy list on the English version of this promo is at $9 US. So just through our Japanese buy listing process, you've you've got access to dump these for profit, and now you're just deciding, do I want to hang on for longer? Um, I think it's rock solid. Just take a swipe at 20 or so of these in Europe and be in good shape. All right, so let's do our let's do our ordering here. Uh, Cliff and I have been, and I guess Travis and I did this every once in a while too. Of the six, the five selections, one, two, three, six selections. How do I rank these? I'm gonna go with. I think that because the Umazawa has that buy list out in Japan, I'm gonna put it first. Then I'm gonna put Urza, then Ranger Captain, then World Tree, then Archmage Emeritus, and then Silver Fur Master. I would probably, uh, like, it just depends. I think Urza is, like, easily the number two. I don't know about... No, I'm with you. Actually, Ranger Captain is going to pay off probably sooner as the popularity takes off. I'm Okay, I'll give you that. I, I'm not giving Ranger Captain a standing just because if you're buying strictly in Europe, it's a different question. But just from TCG player prices, I think I like... It's a toss between Urza and World Tree. Urza, I think I like Urza more. I think the payoff is more likely, but I think you can probably make more money on World Tree based on volume. Um, if you're a and it more is worth saying that you know, Jay, uh, of the uh, picks we just did, only one of them caused James to just like go fire up TCG right the hell now. Yeah, I didn't add. I didn't add anything else to my cart, but I will definitely be picking off picking <laughs> off some of these Babs. I, I already bought Babs. I bought Japanese versions of this 
in Japan early on for $10 a piece and felt extremely confident that they will end up being $50 plus in Japan and they'll end up buy listing very, very well because the only thing there are less of than the English buy a box is the Japanese buy a box by a lot. So I don't know. I think it's a pretty good swath of options here for folks this week. Uh, it usually right. is. So Travis, are you up to speed on the professor's Kickstarter? Uh, I did see that he released some Kickstarter for some deck box and it funded in 20 minutes and it's at like, what, like a hundred grand or some nonsense. Nope. More than that. Uh, last I looked at it, it was like 250, and I'm assuming it's done a lot better since then. We're at $931,000 on the Professor's Game Genic uh, deck box oh, project for Kickstarter. How much? $931,000. They sold a million dollars worth of deck boxes. I, I really don't want to hear another criticism of capitalist tendencies or motivations from the professor on his channel please and thank you <laughs> people running million dollar kickstarters hawking product that they have a conflict of interest reviewing do not get to point fingers at the armchair speculators that make whatever single digit double digit even triple digit thousands per year a million dollars worth of deck boxes with 29 days to go my friend so you're probably looking at this being a two to three million dollar project when all is said and done. I mean, I don't have the numbers on, but don't Kickstarters tend to be really front loaded? I, I think it's more like a third on opening day, a third in the middle and a third towards the end. Hmm. Man, a million dollars. He's got a video. Is it worth it to buy? Oh, come on, dude. On day one. So there I was, mean, and, and he had and, and the and the early bird that everybody was fighting over this afternoon that is now sold out was for the first 2000 backers and the key difference was a limited edition exclusive stamped silver foil signature from the prof on the inside of the deck box oh my god this is you and and this this is the and this is the guy that's been (laughs) making videos critical of mtg finance for years like this on this is I think one of the most um, striking examples of the modern phenomenon of parasocial relationships in magic. Parasocial relationships are basically one-sided and we it happens a lot on Twitch where you watch this person all the time, every day, a couple days a week, you watch all their videos and you've been watching them for years and what their stream or their YouTube videos or whatever, it's not just him. And you begin to feel like this person is your friend and like they owe you something and like you have a relationship. None of this is true, right? This is just a person in their house, studio, whatever, making product and content and putting it out online and other people ingest it. And like James and I recorded, you know, 300 some odd episodes of this cast. And like, maybe there are people who listen to this that think I'm their buddy and they know me and they're friends. And like, I I don't know any of these, I don't know these people, right? Like, I don't know the people listening to this. Um, No one's sending me love letters, but you know, it kind of gives you an idea. You guys have listened to us for six years and most of you, I, I, I don't know your names because we get thousands of listeners every week. This is just a more, a much more severe example of that. And I guess I look at this and I go, people did not need a million or what may end up being two or $3 million worth of deck boxes, but they have developed this relationship in their head with this individual and now are buying it because they feel like it's their friend selling them something 
and it's i mean it's gross when it's it's funny but it's also kind of gross it, it's been, it, it's up 20,000 since we started talking yeah. <laughs> and there was like what is it it's like 50 bucks isn't it 45 so let's spin to the side here is is this worth 45 dollars yeah probably this looks like a pretty solid deck box cliff and i talked about this offline last week and he said he wasn't super impressed uh i think that it is a good product that is going to be very well made um and will likely give people exactly what it, it looks like i think that any project of this magnitude especially when it's the first one you run and you're leaning very heavily on fulfillment partners which is exactly what's going to happen here during a the logistical nightmare of covid production and the international logistics challenges i do not envy the sleepless nights that prof is going to take on his shoulders to achieve this level of success shenzhen a massive industrial zone in in china is essentially shut down this week because a lot of the countries that didn't use the western vaccines are under vaccinated versus omicron and are getting absolutely destroyed in their it's also the ba2 variant correct on the rise but even pre-BA2, they're getting destroyed. Once BA2 hits and becomes dominant in their regions, they're going to be even worse off. Because, <clears throat> along with the rest of us, because, and I'm going to take a minute on this, because this is actually some pretty important shit. The BA2 variant is going to put both, <laughs> is going to basically settle the argument once and for all between anti-vax versus vax, because that variant doesn't give a shit about either of those. It is so far mutated beyond that it basically has been discussed that it should be referred to as COVID-21, not COVID-19. And the impact of that is that those of us that are triple vax, like good little boys and girls, still aren't going to get very much benefit out of that because the vaccines that we have in our bodies are not targeted at this thing at all. And so there's a very crazy period probably coming our way where everybody is determined to open back up and it's like the worst possible time to do that. In China, where they're already having tremendous problems this month, you're going to see logistical challenges that were already, you know, piled up on each other for two years get worse and worse and worse and worse. And these Kickstarters that rely heavily on overseas production are going to be ground zero for a lot of things going wrong. So I wish them all the best. I hope everything goes very smoothly. I suspect there are some problems in his future especially when you the, the goal was 50,000 and he's at 950,000 and counting as we speak. Uh, I mean, I'm going to try to avoid going too, do- too far down the rabbit hole on COVID here, but uh, it, it's bad. It's going to get bad. It doesn't seem as bad today if you listen to Western media, but it sure is bad and it's going to get worse. I, you know, in, in keeping this within the scope of this particular product, uh, presumably people ordering, you know, via Kickstarter products like this, like have an, I have some concept that it's going to be a long lead time. I mean like six months to two years, right? That's pretty common for Kickstarters as I understand it. And they are forecasting February of 2023. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which isn't surprising at all. And I say, even now I would, ha- I would say I didn't read the page, but I'm presuming they're t- telling people that it's quite a ways away. So 
Uh, I mean, if I guess if I'm him, I'm not feeling the heat on that because like, look, we're up front that it's a year, at least a year away and possibly longer. So people will send him angry messages, but like, what does he care? The other thing is if you feel like you missed out on this, for sure, at this level of success, GameGenic's going to be looking at partnering on additional projects. Like they're going to fall oh. fall into the uh, Wormwood model where they're going to be trying to launch as many Kickstarters as they can possibly take on they're gonna have a tolarian academy product line of products they designed specifically with his input and design specifications yeah they'll, they'll perfect a cube sized version there'll be an individual deck box version etc cetera, etc cetera. i have owned a lot of magic cards in my life more than most people a lot of decks and a lot of products and man i don't feel like i ever needed any of this stuff the the thing you know there's a there's a, a case to be made that you you want like, you know this the sweet way to uh, hold the cube like, this is the, I just can't get over the fact that this holds one deck, you have like one deck and a, a a whole other spot that could be used for a deck that instead is just all the accessories and I I just don't get it at all. Here's my question. No, you can what per you can hold two standard decks just. No, it well it holds 133 double sleeved cards. So yes, you could hold two standard decks in it, but like. Who's buying special, I guess people buy special boxes for this, but it seemed all about Commander. What what percentage of people carry a Commander deck, but only carry one? How often does that happen? I never carried a Commander deck someplace and didn't have multiple with me. Because if you're going to play, you brought a bunch. So, like, it, wouldn't you want anything designed to carry a Commander product to be, like, rather streamlined and sort of modular as opposed to like this is the thing that i carry my one edh deck with also i have two binders and six other deck boxes well some people bought <laughs> bought multiples of these clearly because because of what how because of how the math works out here with backers versus money the um the other thing is that i think a lot of people that have followed along with his channel and to be very fair to prof he has put out consistently uh useful accessory information that i have used many many times i have used it to select sleeves i've used it to select binders i've used it to select dex boxes so he has put years into that he has built up a reputation and a lot of these purchases is just people who have likewise followed along feeling like they're giving him his just desserts and via vis-a-vis -vis, you know tying into travis's comments about parasocial relationships this is them feeling like they're connected to him and they are, you know, this is the guy who's been criticizing these boxes and always wanted them to be perfect. And now he's giving you what he thinks is his perfect box. So you want to be a part of that. And there, I'm, I would imagine there are plenty of people that ordered today that have plenty of deck boxes already that don't need this exact product in this exact configuration so much as they are just happy to participate in Prof's perfect box project. I mean, there is there is a big part. You want to be part of the professor group. You want to, like, demonstrate your allegiance, like Travis said. This is my friend. My friend made this cool thing. You know, it's $45 for a single deck box. Big deal. Whatever. Uh, I will tell you, there is no doubt that with this level of success, I mean, even if they undersold, even if they set that goal at 50,000 and anticipated 500,000, they're still so far past that, right? Even if they're, even if they set the goal 10 times less than what they expected, they still doubled it. So, uh, there's no doubt that you will see similar 
uh, efforts, not only out of this particular pairing, but I'm sure other product manufacturers and other personalities. And I wonder if Ultra Pro is looking at like Huey and Reed and like their pairings and being like, what the fuck you guys? Like we, <laughs> we need to do something differently to here because you guys are not selling moving units at these numbers. Well, and the other thing here is this is yet another example of a clusterfucked missed opportunity by Wizards. They went th- almost 30 years with the brand and they've never launched a Kickstarter like this. Like, yeah, Secret Layer is a very successful project, but why aren't you doing this too? Like, why why, why don't they just run... Instead of constantly having external partners do the accessory stuff, run something like this. They, they should have done this with Prof years ago. They could... They Travis, could... do you... Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you asked your question. All right, Travis, do you remember the... Uh, I don't think James was playing when this was a thing, but I'm pretty sure you were... Do you remember uh, the different uh, cardboard deck boxes that was, there was one for each color? Like you had the black one that had like the nightmare on it. The blue one had the Vesuvian doppelganger. Um, so they were cardboard. Yeah, were just like regular deck boxes. They were cardboard, but they were like officially decorated with magic art. I th- like think I've seen them. But only way after the fact, because when I was playing back then, I was quite young, and I'm th- right. pretty sure most decks were in band-aid or uh, rubber bands. I, I did that too, and uh, I went as far as to like take my black one and I unfolded it and I laid it down on the adhesive contact paper to give it a little waterproofness because I was carrying it in my backpack everywhere, and like I wouldn't pay forty five dollars for the professor's deck box. There is a much larger number I would pay for, like, the throwback, like, magic decorated deck box. I mean, there's a market for for that stuff, too. Like, you're just saying that, like, these are missed opportunities. Wizards has, uh, like you said, a huge number of these that they just have decided, eh, we're not gonna. (laughs) Imagine Wizards, like, every year did a, a, you know content creator best of like you know people nominated their favorite content creators and then like the top five or whatever got to collaborate with wizards on official products and like okay this year the 2022 slate has jason alt edh deck and (laughs) alley of the veils like playmat and of that type of thing right and like it was it was different people every year who came with different products different binders and stuff like that and like they were all officially licensed and blah 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 and just like sure i mean (laughs) look at all these ideas that james and i come up with on a weekly basis that would make wizards tens of millions of dollars i mean to be fair ellie ellie and jason and the rest of us can't compare to profs reach on youtube but the even if you're just talking about prof, it's a, it's a huge missed opportunity. And then there's also things like the command zone and post Malone, et cetera, where there are tremendous opportunities with, you know, major personalities, a list celebs now that they can be doing way more with, and they're still being very tentative about what they, what they touch. Now, looking at the, looking at the amount of money pledged versus backers versus the 45 per order, it looks like the average units per order is 1.15, something close to that. Yeah. So some which people, doesn't surprise me. So some, you know, some percentage, say 10% or whatever, are ordering, you know, multiple boxes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I am curious. Uh, has Post Malone shown up on anything official? 
like any of any truly official like casts or videos or anything like that or is it just command cast uh command zone you mean or command zone whatever it is um he wizards is definitely involved in that relationship because they're an official sponsor of command zone they i'm trying to think if they've had post on a wizard stream to reveal something yet i don't think they have because i really wonder if wizards has ever ever at all formally approached him and been like let's do something (laughs) because they just don't I have be the surprised swag they... to to pull those like to have that conversation even because yeah, you're really I... calling his agent. Yes, and you need to. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if Wizards never made the effort. Like they literally never even contacted his agent and said, "Hey, post your post agent. He keeps showing up on this magic centered program. We'd love to talk about anything he'd be interested in doing. Like any ideas he have we have some we can talk about right like maybe they've never even tried right you have to imagine that that's a possibility that they've never even asked secret layer premium post malone five thousand dollar deck thousand dollar deck (laughs) whatever Mm -hmm. you can sell that product it will sell Mm -hmm. we're gonna make we're gonna make 100 units we're gonna make 250 units we're gonna make 500 units this is what's in it it's ridiculous yep this we stuff. have we have not hit the bottom of the of uh, the barrel for like what wizards can do for collectability. They're they're testing us with that hundred dollar commander deck, but you're right. Like, what would you pay for a a deck that was all reprints of the sweetest promo versions? It's got your, uh, you know, your invention soul ring, your EA foil, uh, great hinge, all that good stuff. I I'm I, I'm seeing like white like leather with Alcantara lining, gold stitching deck boxes or post Malone art designed magic sneakers, like okay, the so sneakers, you, right? You, like accessory crap you, you, that you sell for two grand. You remember how the world championship decks have a very handsome back on them. And that this was always like, um, much maligned because it prevented them from being tournament playable. And then Ben from SCG is out on Twitter this week. Um, promoting an article he wrote that basically said gold border cards should be legal. And in a world of EDH, I fully agree. And I also believe that therefore you can do, if you do the post Malone deck, you can give him his own card back and say that as long as you're playing opaque sleeves, these are, these are legal. And then as part of buying the deck, you get, you get transparent sleeves so that they're, they're, they're all, you know, you can just look at his cool deck back. Plenty of options. They've done none of them. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's enough on Prof and the million dollars plus that he'll have reaped before we're done this cast. Let's shift over to Travis's history in MGG Finance. Um, just before we just before we jump in on this and, and probe some of that, Cliff, when do you think I started playing Magic? Uh, I think you said some... At some point, you started like 10 years ago, 12 years no, ago? No, dude. September 1994. Well, first year of right, university. Somehow I, I thought you were more... I went to a toy store and bought two decks of Jihad and a deck of Revised on the same day. The And and won a Type 1 tournament, or finished second in the Type 1 tournament the following year using like Mox Monkeys or something. So yeah, I've, been, I've got a six-digit DCI, my man. The... I've got a six-digit DCI too. You want to you want to dance? Mine starts, I my, found it the other day. Mine starts with a seven. I will show it to mine you. Mine starts with a seven. What's your start with? Seven three. Oh, I'm seven eight. You got me. All right. So that's enough about us. Travis, 
what year did you what year did you start playing magic the gathering i think it was 94 pretty sure okay pretty and, sure and how, i don't know i was in the fourth grade it must have been do, do you have a do you have a clear recollection of the first encounter with the cards mm, yeah it was some kid holding up a bear uh Sengir vampire let me double check that that's the right art that's so great uh, if that's true it was some that, kid that good. holding up the original Sengir vampire and telling some other kid that it was his mom <laughs> i kid you that is my memory it's like look it's your mother because the, the original art for send your vampire is certainly something uh yeah that's yeah, that. licking the vein right yeah and i didn't know what it was and i remember like i asked questions about it and there was that the x was in the a monocost of something it was probably like a stream of life or something and i'm like does that mean 10 because X is 10 and they're like, no, it, it changes. And, um, I remember, I, you know, I, I remember when I actually started playing, we have like, uh, there was crawl worms and ice worms. Someone had an ice worm, which was a big deal. And we would play with wall of vines. Does that sound right? No, not wall of vines. Oh, ah, oh, crud. I don't remember. Whip, whip vine? I know you guys Was don't it care. big enough to block the wall, the ice worm? Because ice worm is a 7-6 from Ice Age, right? This is the episode that I get to just blabber on and no one can complain about it. Uh, I think it was whip vine, and we would play it incorrectly to tap down crawl worms and ice worms and what have you. Crawl worm. Hypnotic Spectre was around, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so funny. Hypnotic Spectre doesn't make the grade these days, but it is the in the context of 94 95 magic hypnotic specter is such a busted creature it's not even funny well it's only busted if you're like dark ritualing it out man like if you're playing it legit on turn three it's much less terrifying but you you know pitch something to unmask and then you dark ritual for your hippie and you're just like let's dance well i mean you 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 basically had wrath of god bolt counterspell and swords to deal to deal with it or you were in deep shit because it was going to eat three cards out of your hand. Yeah, because you can't tear it. And you, you had to get your your Sarah, your Sen gear, or your Air Elemental down. Yeah, I I mean there there are technically better cards to Dark Ritual into play, but like around kitchen tables and people who had limited access to cards, Hypnotic Spectre was it, and Dark Ritual was a common, so those weren't hard to get a hold of. So were you were you paying with this stuff with your allowance? Were you a paper root boy? Like how were you getting magic cards back in the in grade uh, five? I only borrowed cards from my friends because uh, there was a strict no magic in my household, and I don't mean Magic the Gathering. I mean you anything mean no sorcery. related. Yes, precisely. So uh, when I you know I liked magic like illusions illusions michael like wands and spell books um (laughs) was not allowed to get deep into that uh i ended up buying overpower cards because they weren't magic the gathering uh yeah harry potter i was around for when harry potter first came out and it was the whole christian community was kind of side side eyeing it for a while until they finally acquiesced and realized they were going to lose that battle so they agreed to like it yeah were uh, were your family like uh, freaked out about the whole flaming pentagram thing in Magic? They or? never got that close to it. It was just this game is called Magic, so there's no way it's a go. Yeah, it was already off. So yeah, I only played with with cards that my friends had at school. So at what at what age are you then acquiring your own cards and decks and so forth? Uh it took a long time. 
I only played at school and then, um, you know, I, as I went up through the grades, I, I wasn't friends with people who were playing it anymore. So I missed a huge chunk of it. I basically didn't play between, I don't know, somewhere roughly alliances, maybe, I mean, I played with alliances card, but somewhere after alliances, um, through like Mirrodin, like I miss all of that. Uh, and then it wasn't until I didn't truly own my own cards, I think until Zendikar. Oh, wow. What? Yeah, it was a long time where like I was roughly aware of it and like saw and like we had played like, I don't know, I don't remember what what my engagement with it was, but Zendikar was like the first FNM I went to. Like I went out and got cards to play it, play at, at FNM. So that was when it really began. And at the time I joined Magic Salvation Forums because I was broke as hell and couldn't afford to like buy cards because they were expensive. So I was just trading constantly on the Salvation Forums back and forth. And that's why I kept my decks moving. And that was how I got into knowing anything about card values because it turned out that you could pay for your decks for FNM with trading if you knew what you were doing. Sure. So it, it, it really does seem like an entirely different era to even talk about trade binder at this point. I don't think the words trade binder have come up on this cast and since the last nostalgia moment, like <laughs> it's been a long time. This gets into kind of what I want. I just wanted to touch on. And um, so, okay. So just to refresh uh, since I don't, I don't know if I actually said this out loud. Tonight's my last cast. Um, I had a kid six weeks ago. If you missed it on Twitter, or if you didn't see it in the Discord, my second child. Um, very happy about all that. Uh, but clearly the toll taken on my time has just gotten to be too much. Um, and something somewhere has to give. And, you know, I don't think our listeners, we're going to come back to your to this topic of trade binders. But I, I'm not sure that the listeners fully appreciate how much time goes into this. I mean, I'm at like... You know, most weeks I was like six to seven hours on this cast, like on the lowish middle end. Um, and that was probably not enough time, to be honest with you. Uh, so as much as I've enjoyed doing this all this time, um, I just, you know, that, that somewhere I have to make allowances and, and this has got to be it. And if I'm not doing this after the kids have gone, if I'm doing it after the kids have gone to bed, I'm exhausted and I can't wake up for work the next morning. And if I'm doing it any other time of the week, then I'm not able to spend time with them and like both of them are under two so like you know this is a good time to be with them and actually trying to get here to record this episode tonight was a perfect example of why i need some more space because i was getting my son out of the bath so that i could move along and only to discover that the poopy diaper that had been left on the floor the dog had gotten to uh, for the first time for the first time since we've we've had we've had our my son is 20 months old and the dog has never done this but tonight he chose to do it so that's smeared all over the place and that's not something you can leave so i have to like stop and deal with that and try and get that cleaned up while he's screaming because he's overtired and then i come downstairs and the other dog is pooped in the house so like <laughs> it's just you know you can do your best to plan for all this stuff but um you're, you're never gonna be able to be on top of it and it's, it's it's not fair to james it's not fair to the listeners like to try you know it's there's not enough flexibility in my schedule to allow for this type of stuff. All, um, all, all dads here, so we fully get it. Are and, nodding, and, yeah. And, and, I, and I distinctly remember... Strongly nodding. Year one and year two with Alara, life being very, uh, very difficult. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. There's there's three years I don't remember at all. 
just the lack of sleep entirely had me just not it's just a blank and you do come out it's, you do come out the other side of it like you're gonna eventually you're gonna have a you know a seven-year-old and a, and a six-year-old or whatever and you're gonna be reclaiming your interests mm-hmm. to a greater degree mm-hmm. but you also took a big step up in your career lately too right yeah i've been moving i i moved jobs uh right at the start of covid and it's taken a bigger toll on my time um and there's some more stuff there uh so that's that's a bigger portion of my life than it used to be um so you know between the kid the kids are the major part of it but then trying to do some other stuff in in the real world and uh is a lot and the listeners have heard us heard me talk about the house a bunch of times like that's never going away so uh and doing work on the house so that you know just all these things eat at my eat at my time and it's just something's got to give somewhere and this this brings me back around to kind of what we're talking about with the trade binders and i kind of wanted to contrast uh, for for people who like maybe don't quite don't quite don't quite appreciate how different it is today versus at least when I got into this really full throated. So uh, if you'll you'll indulge me here, I started going to F and M and Zendikar, and that was when Baneslayer Angel was fifty bucks. Um, the non foils that was the most expensive a Magic card had basically ever been uh, in standard. Um, and it did not take long for before I was basically just trading all the time, uh, both online via the Salvation Forums and uh, in person. Um, this is 2009 for context. Yeah. So cell phones were not were not widespread. I think cell phones were – the first iPhone was like two years before that, right? Something like that. That sounds about right. Um, so, and most people didn't have them. They were slow. And there was no really strong – um, database for prices either. I think TCG Player was in its infancy uh, at the time, I believe, and Star City was basically a standard. But the point is, no people weren't walking around with cell phones in their pockets uh, the way that they do today. So if you you would put all of the cards that you owned that were valuable, but not that you looked up at home, but were not you weren't immediately using into a binder and you'd show up and in between rounds and before the event started, you would trade with people and you'd sit there and you'd flip through each other's binders and you go, Oh, I could really use this land. You know, what do you see anything in my binder that you like? And this was a dance that you would do over and over and over again. You'd sit down, you'd swap binders, you'd flip through them, you'd make small talk, you'd get to know people. Um, and you, and you would trade and And I mean, there were a lot of people who, who just didn't know the values of their cards. Like they just, this is a card I have. And like, oh, this is a mythic and that's a mythic, like one for one. How's that for a trade? So, you know, you really did your best to try and be ethical and not like steal from people. But at the same time, you know, you were more than happy to, to ache out advantages because of, and I've written countless articles about all this crap, but you know, if some guy sits down and says, well, I really want your dragon and I'm happy to give you my, you know, whatever, not a Jace, but something useful that's worth several dollars, uh, progenitus or whatever, versus your bulk mythic dragon. You're like, all right, like you're very happy with this and you don't seem to care about the prices and it's useful for me. So everyone's happy. Um, I mean, that was how you did it, uh, for a long time. And I was I was the trade guy at my store very quickly. I carried a standard binder and I carried a non-standard binder. And like anytime anyone needed a card, they would start with me, and I would see what I had for them to trade it. And that was that was how most that was what MTG Finance was in those days. You didn't typically buy cards and stockpile them and wait for the prices to go up. You traded for what you thought would be good later on. And you stashed it and you put that in like a separate binder in the back pages and you say, oh, those aren't for trade. Um, and that was when like John Medina had just started writing. That was the first person to write about any of this. He did the pack to power that caught everyone's attention. 
Uh, that was 2010. Yeah. So that was that was kind of what it looked like back then. Like no one, or should, I didn't say no one. I didn't know of anyone who was just buying piles of cards, expecting them to go up later. And that's not to say it didn't happen, but it was not like it is today. Really what you did is you traded for it. And I would, you know, one of my go-tos was in June and July and August, I would be trading for the lands that were from the previous fall, knowing that they would skyrocket this fall when the older lands rotated out because the lands were always printed in the fall set. So when the fall of rotation happened, all those lands would come, you know, the old lands that were only kind of useful were now suddenly really useful. And, uh, and that's kind of how that would play out. And that was, that was how you spec'd was you traded for cards that weren't, you, you would trade for cards now, even for even, right? Like $5 for $5, but you were getting rid of the rotating staple that was going to drop and you were picking up the cards that you expected to go up down the road. And that was how you did that. Yeah, it just it just seems like a million years ago. Like I traded oh, yeah. I traded really into my does. Lotus in twenty thirteen at Jersey, and that's a, a solid decade ago now. I mean, I just said it, it, part of my story there is no one had cell phones, or like they were really far, few and far between. If you, let me rephrase that: you had cell phones, they were not data. There well, were virtually no I, touch I, screen. I, I distinctly remember in twenty even in twenty thirteen at GP New Jersey having such a bad roaming plan because Jersey's like an hour flight from Toronto, but you are crossing a border and just going, having basically international roaming while I was there dramatically limited my ability to look anything up. And it took so long to load, especially if you were in a busy place where everybody was trying to load data. And then you go back to, you know, 2008, 9, 10, 11, you're talking, a lot of people are still on flip phones that actually fit in their pocket. Yeah, the very first iPhone was released in the U.S. in June of 2007. Uh, iPhone 3G was 2008. Um, you know, so I think the 3GS was a year after. So, like, to give you a frame of reference, I mean, when was the first non-Apple iPhone, like self uh, smartphone? I mean, it was several years later. So the iPhone might have been like literally the only smartphone on the market when Zendikar released like Blackberry sort of counted maybe that Blackberries were still useful back then. Um, yeah. So it, it, it was, it was real different in terms of like how you traded for cards, but the, and the, the other part of this, and I was, I was getting some data earlier here is our first episode was in 2016. I, I had to look that up. Uh, it was January 2016, which, by the way, it feels way further away than that. Like, I did not realize, <laughs> like, I remember the 2016 election so well. And it's so weird to me that we started this that year because that seems so, that seem, event seems so much closer to today than the start of this cast does. But um, the, what magic, what the magic product cycle looked like was totally different. So the year Zendikar came out was 2009. You had, like you had your four major standard sets or you basically had three standard sets, which were all one block. Um, and then you had a core set of some nature. And then there were like two or three other products, maybe, maybe. And like most of that stuff was all just like reprints. So maybe it was like five or six products, but they were all reprints essentially. And you're getting, and you're getting annual commander decks as of what? 2011. 2011 was the first commander decks was that it? yeah 2011 so it took two years before you got those and there was only five of them and uh yes, most of those five. were reprints too 
Uh, those were the first time. It was like 10 new cards per deck because they did the wedges. Yeah, because it was Kalia. Kalia, yeah. And the Memioplasm and... Ruhan, right? Was that group? Ruhan. Ruhan was in there. I, I thought the f- yeah. I thought the first set of decks, the only new cards were the commander and the two lieutenants. No, there wrong. was like no, because that was when Chaos Warp came out. That was when Scavenging Ooze came out. Yeah, they were the first... scavenging. Scavenging Ooze was a fifty dollar card uh, for a yeah, while yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, traded yeah. two for a Gaia's Cradle once. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. That uh, I'm just scrolling back through Chaos Warp now. Yeah, that was yeah. Oh yeah, because that's because that's we also somewhere in that near that front ended part of the era we get True Name Nemesis and it skyrockets the value of that deck for a while. That was like two or yeah. three years later. Twenty thirteen. Yeah, they the did. They didn't go back to that well for two years. Yeah. Twenty thirteen, and then yeah. it takes off like crazy because of Legacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So the point. So uh, the point here is that. Like if you so if you opened a foil mythic out of a set pack, right? If you opened like a foil mythic Abyssin, that was it. That was the pinnacle of magic cards that you could open from a product that was produced this year. Okay? There were no showcases, there were no expeditions, there was no like special there was no secret layers, there was no special premium, anything. Like it didn't exist. A card had its pack copy. And it's foil pack copy. And like, that was it. And a lot of cards didn't have a foil copy, right? Like the commander stuff and what have you. So the scope of cards that you needed to keep track of was significantly less than it is today. Like, I can't even, I I feel like I'm not impressing upon people the disparity in the amount of data that you had to track back then as you do today. Like, it has been my part-time job to know this stuff for the last six years. And like the within the last two years, I have not done it, I have not done a good enough job keeping track of it. Like it is difficult to keep to know all of it. Whereas back then it was so easy to know all of it. Um, and I mean just look at the Kamigawa. What was his name? Uh, Satura um, the new Omazawa, right? Had if I put put this in the scryfall and view all prints, there are seven different prints of this card. Of one card. One card. And, you know, what did Teferi have, like 18, two years ago or something like that? Um, it, it's So it's just, it's so, it's night and day in terms of that regard. So the amount of homework you have to do in order to be on top of all this is just unbelievable compared to where it used to be. Project Booster Fund is 100% about creating obfuscation in this market so that there is a constant sense of discovery and surprise and so that people will pay twice as much for sealed product while they're still printing it on the same priced cardboard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think, yeah, I mean, ultimately the goal here is to just, I mean, if I, in my least, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? My least cynical view, they're trying to give people a lot of options for visually distinguished cards, uh, that they can, that they can buy to feel cool. Or to, to because they like specific versions and it makes it feel more personal to them. Um, but that means tons and tons of different products. Uh, it's just and and it can't be understated how much how big a factor EDH is in pivoting them in that direction. The creation of a four sided social gathering around the game, beers and pretzels and multiple EDH decks in your backpack on a Friday night with your buddies, whether at the LGS or at your house. 
on your gaming table. You're pulling out your craft beers and everybody's got, you know, a 500 to 5,000 or even more deck. And because they're presenting that on a regular basis to people they know, they are, and because there's no rotation, huge, huge point, they're much more willing to commit to expensive versions of cards and much more interested in personalizing those decks to reflect who they think they are as humans tend tend to do. So that's all fascinating, but I do want to turn turn us back to the Travis side of things. How does Travis sorry? <laughs> how does Travis transition from um backpack grinder in his local LGS to ending up writing, you know, creating your first content for MTG Finance? Uh, that was also Zendikar because I had been doing the backpack grinder thing for, I don't know, months, a year-ish, maybe, maybe a little over a year. And uh, the guy who used to own MTG Price put out feelers for writers. And I had just recently gotten into an argument at our store about the fetch lands, about whether you should be acquiring, whether you should be trading for them because of whether they were going to go up or not. I think that's what it was. I know it was about the fetch lands. So I saw him talk about that, like solicit writers. So I threw something together and sent it his way. And uh, he really liked it. So he asked me to start writing for MTG Price. And I did. And that's where I, I got started. And there was like one other guy who wrote for the site at the time. But I don't remember if he was inconsistent or he was doing something else. He was going to school and wasn't going to be doing it anymore. I don't recall. And I, I don't remember his name either. I would have to go back into the archives. I was trying to remember the, the names too. Yeah, I'd have to go back into the archives of the WordPress site to find it. Um, but yeah, and it was it was starting to write for MTG Price way back in the day. That so around 2010 probably, where I where I got a little more into it, and then it just grew from there. I just wrote every week at the time. I was one of what like two or three people writing about finance. It was like me. Um, it would have been Cassie. Uh, for I don't remember what site she was writing for at the time. John Medina, I think, was still writing then. I'm like, that was it, I believe. Well, no, because Quiet Speculation, I think, was around, but they were all paywalled, I believe. And there was, like, only two or three people over there, right? It was, like, Tarkin and Kelly, maybe? I could not remember who was in the stable at QS at the time. But... Yeah, it was small. There were, I mean, like, the whole the whole field was small. Like, most people weren't really... Didn't really think much of it. Not that people, I don't know, I imagine most players don't really think much about it now either, but there's a lot more content on the topic today than there was back in 2010, 2011. And then one of the defining characteristics of that era is the intense focus on, I think, the main conversational flow on the annual cycle being about rotations, right? Oh, yeah. It was all about when when is standard rotating and oh my god it's march you got to get out of this standard mythic staple now or that deck didn't perform last weekend and that new sets out so now that archetype's screwed so you better get out extra early and oh this did well on star city games uh at at the tournament on saturday morning so you gotta fire up your ebay and order 10 Mm -hmm. copies and Mm -hmm. and and like it was rotation is just again not part of the conversation right now so yeah you said, right now vir- virtually all prices were moved by standard um, or at least i would say like 80 to 95 percent of it uh edh existed because it was it was called elder dragon highlander it was still mostly played by 
uh, judges at the time. It would only really started to crack it, you know, break into local store spaces. But even then, I don't remember back in Zendikar before the first Commander product release. I don't think I remember seeing anyone play a game of Commander. Like I was aware of what it was, but like nobody played it, and it was still called EDH at the time. I, and I think it was after Commander 2011 that you started to see it a little bit. Because like now people actually had their hands on like some sort of product and were aware of it, but it, it basically didn't exist. And as far as prices go, like it didn't it didn't matter yet. I think Guy's Cradle was twenty bucks or something like that. Um, I remember just, it was all. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, it, it was all standard and uh, with a little bit of the additional formats because at the time they were tinkering with like extended and. Um, there was another format. Oh, and that was when Guy Benverhi floated overextended which ended up becoming modern. I don't even think he worked for Wizards yet at the time. Um, so that kind of stuff could matter. I remember when Vampire Hexmage was spoiled in World Wake, looking at that and going, wow, that would make Dark Depths really cool. That's funny because like you can play Dark Depths on like turn two or turn one, play Urborg on turn two, and then play Vampire Hexmage, remove all the counters and have it Merit Lage. That's pretty nifty. And then moving on with my life. And only after the fact scene... Uh, dark depths go from like two dollars to seventy five or something because it turned out that was like a tier one strategy and extended. So like it, other formats could move prices, but for the most it was it was almost all standard and it almost all hinged on tournament results. And like you said, the rotation rotation was a huge deal because it, it only happened once a year uh, in the fall and it moved three sets out of standard and brought one in and. Not only was it important to get out of the, the stuff that was going to lose value because it wasn't good in other formats, but trying to figure out what cards had been printed that weren't good today, but would suddenly be good when three sets disappeared. You know, what cards are suddenly going to rise to the pack, top of the pack? Um, identifying those was a potential huge surplus in value. I'm also fairly convinced that even if you snap your fingers and finish COVID right now, that standard never comes back to the level that it was at before. EDH is the primary format now, for sure. Standard, standard will get played, but Standard also competes parasitically with Pioneer at this point. So the two of them, uh, you know, Pioneer does get some follow-on from Standard, and then Modern gets follow-on from both, in terms of you start acquiring cards and you have a collection built up and that awesome mythic you had and Standard might also be applicable in Modern at some point. But I just we're never going to be at that point where we, we have to care about rotation and worry about what to sell in march as much because so much of what they produce these days is produced with commander in mind and so a lot of these cards you know you could you can go ahead and ban luris but somebody's eventually going to buy my japanese foil extended or luris because they can play it in commander mm -hmm. yeah and i think that um the the other big factor here is that they're so because of the broad array of product available to players now it, you know, again, seven specific copies of Satoru. If you want to play standard, finding a, any copy of the cards you need is cheap. Like the low end of the game has really bottomed out, um, especially for standard, in a way that didn't exist before. I mean, it used to be standard was not a cheap format. Like you could play cheap decks, but like... $100 Chase Finn's Prodigy? Yeah, I mean, and even back before that, like Jace the Mind Sculptor out of World Wake was, you know, a $100 card in standard because of standard. 
Um, that was a pricey format, but now you could pick any standard deck. And if you buy the cheapest copy of each of those cards, I'm pretty sure they've all got to come in under what, 200 bucks, maybe $300. Um, not a lot compared to what you used to pay. I mean, back that was back when uh, the mythic deck that Zvimashowitz put together for the One Pro Tour out of Alara had a bunch of mythics and expensive rares. And that was like an $1,100 main deck. And that was the uh, the fetch land, like 20 fetch lands or something crazy. Yeah, it was all... Jeskai Black in fall of 2015, right? KTK? Jeskai Black with the four Jacerins Prodigy and all the fetch lands and everything was a $1,000 plus deck. Yeah, but when it when it happened with the Mythic deck, that was I think the first time that had ever really occurred, and that was people were really pissy about that. But now, I mean, now there's just so many damn cards. That, so the point being is that standard can't move prices anymore because if you want to play standard, all the cards are cheap. Like you don't have to buy the expensive versions. The expensive versions are for the nerds, uh, the super nerds. The but you know, <laughs> if you just want to show up and sling ninjutsu or even you know top tier standard deck, like you, you can do it. Obviously modern is a is different because of stuff like modern horizons 2 and ragavan at 100 bucks but that's that's engineered right like they did that on purpose um so the, the barrier to entry there is still there but not not standard which is just i don't know what, another reason why standard just doesn't seem to move prices anymore the most expensive uh standard deck right now is uh, according to goldfish is esper control at uh roughly Four hundred dollars, of which one hundred and fifty is three copies of Meat Hook Massacre. All right, so Massacre. So when do you, when do you get it into your expensive. when do you get it into your head that you want to also be podcasting? I don't remember precisely. I did not realize Meat Hook Massacre was a fifty dollar car. Holy crap! Oh yeah, it's the great the great uh, hinge of that set. Yeah, uh, that was so. Our first episode was January twenty sixteen. It's probably, I don't know, what, two or three months before that. I wanted, I don't remember where Brainstorm Brewery was at the time. I was an established, very established writer in the field. Uh, and I don't remember, they never really invited me on. I would later come to find out, I think I had to deal with some personal animosity, perhaps. Uh, not from any of the current hosts. Um, but in any case, I was getting the itch to do more. I wanted more spotlight. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to James. And I was like, hey, we should do a podcast, but like different so that, you know, I can talk and people will listen to me. And uh, you were all for it. So we fleshed it out. And I mean, even the first iteration was pretty similar to what it is today, I think. And this is this is all happening while MVG price is switching is changing hands. And with the implosion of the original owner's operation, there's like people getting scalped by QS and then later bouncing to other projects. There's, uh, you know, all sorts of motion between writers going to different websites at the time. And I remember distinctly that I was very resistant to the podcast thing because I didn't listen to any podcasts at the time. And to me, it felt like as a new media guy, podcasting just sounded so backwards. Like, people are going to listen to people like old timey radio stations. Like someone wants to listen to me for two hours drone on about MTG finance. That can't be right. But the thing that ended up ter- getting me to turn the corner was that as much as I love brainstorm brewery and it's, it is the pretty much one of the only other MTG finance uh, content pieces that I consume on a weekly basis. I do listen to them most weeks. 
their style of being heavy on personality, personal anecdotes, interpersonal wordplay, and the kind of uh, MTG finance for the common man, where nobody ever really wants to like take credit for a successful spec or anything, and they want they they spend a lot more time um, talking about the culture of magic than they do ex- examining the comings and goings of the market always felt to me like a lot of dead air like the the most important stuff that they were dishing out for me on a weekly basis at the time was summarized in five minutes or less and hence the name mtg fast finance right when when i pitched it i had 15 minutes in my head yeah that was the run and and i was totally on board holy shit really yeah 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 and i was totally i was 100 percent on board because i was like and in in fact, if you go back and listen to the first episode, we've talked about this before. I think we mentioned it on the on the three hundredth episode. Um, if you go back and listen to the first episode, I I lay down a sick burn on Brainstorm Brewery for being too long. <laughs> well, and which Jason has thrown back in my face multiple occasions. Uh, as well, he should. As well, he should. The, you know, we thought we were just gonna do the fast movers, and a little bit of news and. Boom, bada bing, bada boom, we're done. Yeah, I, 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 so I didn't go back and listen to it because of the aforementioned children. But I, I think we had picks the first time. Yep. I think, like, we, we talked about what had moved the most. We picked some cards, and I, I think that was it. Like, I, we, I know we weren't checking event results, I don't think. And we didn't really have, like, a topic of the week yet either. Yeah, but at least on the first episode, I think that came shortly after. And now, to my great chagrin, as a guy who has branded two hundred plus companies in my career, I, I now am on a podcast that could that is as badly named as Shell Oil Company. Like MTG Fast <laughs> Finance couldn't be further from what this cast should be named. I gotta yeah. tell you, my my friends give me shit about this. They're like, uh, Cliff, have, have, have you? like listen to it and been part of it and it's it, what, what's fast yeah it's, none of understand. it's fast none of it's fast i don't know what i would rename it to be did we talk about the name for a while right yeah yeah yeah. And, i feel like yeah and the and we have a, oh god we have that theros dragon as the artwork in a lot of places because it was yeah the storm breath dragon was it, is it was it storm breath dragon yeah, I think so. that was I'm on the tip sure. of my tongue but i wasn't sure if that was the right one yeah, it is Storm Breath Dragon because we're like, oh, it's got lightning, it's fast, and it has haste. <laughs> so, so like it, it, it like thematically what, fits. What a great mascot! Yeah, yeah. Uh, I Who remember the when intro you... music. I've always wondered this. Uh, I love Travis. Take Five. Travis. Yeah, one hundred percent me. Because uh, I, I, I don't remember how, but I took over the audio editing right from the get go. Right, I think. I think I must have. I think so um because i I have that episode on my computer so i i must have done it and i don't remember why i I ended up with it other than maybe i was just eager and i was like yeah i'll I'll do this part like you just come talk with me and i'll I'll handle this part but i really like the track and uh it just made for i listened to a lot of npr at the time and and it and the intro outro music is actually the number one compliment that filters through social media to me on the on the podcast of all time Many things have been complimented over the years, but that t- easily has been complimented the most. It's a great it's track. Take five man. is amazing. It is it's in a really weird time too. It's like three sixteenths or something like that. Fantastic yeah, track. Like five four beat or something like that. Yeah, 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 some weird, something weird. Um, 
Yeah, I remember when you first started writing at Price, James, and I remember it because you had written an article or two. And at the time, I was like the editor for the site. So basically, every article that people posted, or they would submit their article to me. The, our process for this changed a couple times over the years, but I would base it was the editor for the site and had to review all the articles. And I th- remember sending you an email because I didn't really know who you were. You just had somehow else I had found, found you and you had started writing. Uh, and I sent you an email and I was like, uh, your content is good, but you sound really arrogant in your tone. <laughs> so like, and I'm like, I, I, I'm like, this is not a complaint. I'm not telling you your content's bad, but just like, just so you know, like this is the tone, how your tone comes off. And like someone else has like mentioned to me that you sound kind of arrogant. And I just wanted to let you know that I, I don't, I don't think I was very combative with it. I was just trying to provide honest feedback. And you sent me a very long email about why that was wrong. Oh my God. You should have dug that out and read it back to us today. It would have been perfect. I will send you $10 to forward me that email. I, I don't and... remember this at all, so I'm sure it's fantastic. And I'm sure my, my wife's up at the cottage this week, and I've got Alara here. And I'm sure 200 kilometers away, she's nodding her head with a, with a smile. The So yeah, we get the, the podcast rolling. Feedback is good. Um, do you have any favorite moments in over the years? Are there interviews we did that that stick out to you as being particularly good cast? I think, I don't know what your experience with this has been, but I, I don't really have very many specific memories of moments from the show. It all, it, um, when you've done 300 plus episodes, things definitely blend together. Yeah. And it, it's more than just, I mean, that's, that's a hundred percent true. I mean, like the hours of everything in my head blurs together, you know, regardless, but that, that portion of it, like I, you know, you you might think like if you were to ask like Jason or Corbin about this and like BSB there, I might remember some joke someone had made or some event or some bet one, but like, because our, the show has kept such a, a pretty standard formula the entire time. And it's always so, um, so topical, but I, but I mean that in the sense that it's it, it fades, right? The importance of our conversation fades quickly over time. It just feels like uh, we were never in the right format to generate those sort of moments, if that makes sense. Do you have a different experience with that than I do? No, I think I, I you know, I think I experience it much the same way. I think I think the interviews do stick stick out for me though, as there are some there are some things with longevity there, like interviews with Dan Bach and Martin Yuza and. Uh, Ellie. We talked to Martin Yuza. Yeah. And uh, and about MDG Finance Matters <laughs> and him losing in a very expensive deck and and the kind of uh, where things were headed with competitive play when that seemed that was still up for debate. Um, and I think you and I would probably both agree that whenever we wrangled Ellie of the Veil onto the cast, it tended to be a good time. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, most of the people that we had on were great. Um, I enjoyed all of our uh, guests. I don't remember them all, <laughs> uh, clearly, but I do remember enjoying the people that we've talked to every time. Um, everyone was good. Some more fun based on personal interests than others. Uh, the, what was I going to say? The... Um, the video episode, I liked that. That was interesting. 
for I want everyone to know, this is my last episode, I can say this. I've been pushing to move to a video format for like two years. <laughs> and really? Yeah. Uh, but James, what we have, there's, there's additional challenges there. So we have never managed to turn that into a full-time production, but uh, it, has, it has been discussed. There's, over there's the two years. main things holding that back. One, time, because imagine I had said yes to that, and then you're pulling out now on a basis of time, and I've got to edit video instead of audio, which is oh yeah, yeah. would require adding uh, an editor, which is not crazy. Like lots of you know, if you're gonna make a push for YouTube and or Twitch presence you're going to have to hire an editor and that's a doable thing. Um, the money's there to do it if we're, if we're aiming for that, but it is an even larger time commitment and I'm not as pressed for time as you are. A, I'm not, I didn't have the second kid <laughs> and B my, my main job has been in cash cow mode for years. So it's not quite as stressful as yours. Um, I'm still a very busy guy, but I've carved out the space for the MTG price side of things and, Everything's more or less stable. The yeah that that you know I, I I get not wanting to upset the apple cart because it works as it is. Th- there is, however, if you're listening out there, a potentiality of someone else generating MTG price uh, content uh, on the video side of things. I think the way I would be aiming for it would be for a quick bites kind of thing, like go back to a, a fifteen minute five to fifteen minute format um, as a complement. To this cast and if you're out there listening and you think that's you feel free to hit us up um there may, there may mean, still be something there i didn't mean to put you on the spot but it is kind of funny no i mean i think it it, i mean it's i agree you're not going to get any argument from me given you know brian's success with this million dollar plus kickstarter as a result of plowing time into youtube that or you know what we've seen happen with command zone um who now regularly play cards with Post Malone <laughs> randomly? Yeah. I'll, at the same, but at the same time, what's his name? Not just not Justin. Uh, jo- Josh, right? Is their editor? Yeah. yeah, Josh has talked repeatedly. What's it take him? A hundred hours an episode? Well, they have a whole team at this point that handles all that. At like this, he's, yeah. Like he, at a certain point, he was work, like, again, you, you don't get somewhere out of nowhere. Like those guys have put in. All of the people we're talking about have put in a ton of effort into building their brands over a long period of time. And this is the payoff. So, I mean, one of the things that's held me back on the video front is that BSB publishes to YouTube every uh, week and they don't have the audience that you would hope to have there. Um, If they had another zero at the end of their their metrics every (laughs) week, then I would be much more inclined to make sure somebody was putting in the time and effort to get there. The the other thing is that I'm not convinced that the video format adds a lot um, to, for the purpose of this cast. I think for BSB, it's more important because it's personality driven. Um, Whereas our, our cast is not so much. Yeah. I mean, so I would never advocate for doing something with any level of the production of any of this other stuff, right? It would just be you and I sitting in front of webcams and that would go straight up as it was. The only, uh, the main draw, aside from uh, getting to look pretty on camera again, um, (laughs) would be uh, being able to put the cards up kind of on the screen as we talk. Yeah, that's nice. Because we we have gotten feedback on more than one occasion that, you know, given the fact that we uh, at times 
tend to go on for minutes at a time without mentioning card names. People can lose track of what we're talking about. And it would be helpful like, to be able to just like put cards on the screen and discuss them kind of as we went. But hey, whatever, it's, it's neither here nor there. Travis, one thing I want to say is um, this isn't a podcast memory. This is a writing memory. I know for a fact that I don't send people my own writing very much when, when we're talking about finance. I have sent your thing about my spec quadruple that I made 25 cents. Oh, yep. I, yeah, a classic. I have sent that to so many people. Definitely a classic <laughs> And piece. it is just definitely definitely one of the the outstanding ones I'm like well you did it right congratulations you can buy half a coffee yeah you know it's funny that i'm pretty sure uh i have i'm not gonna say forgotten the lessons of that but have ignored them for a good number of years now because <laughs> the the article the article basically said this was back in the day um where i don't think individual people could sell on tcg player at the time i'm pretty sure your only out was ebay Right. So we bought, uh, I want to say it was Ruhans, right? Maybe? No, I thought I thought it was Mimeoplasm. No, it wasn't Mimeoplasm. It was something like that. Uh, had I bought in at like three and they went to 12, I believe. And then the article was about how like, sure, like the t- on paper, this quadrupled, but they're not actually selling for that quadrupled price or selling for a little bit less. And then eBay takes a cut and then PayPal takes a cut. And then I have to pay for shipping and I have to pay for the envelopes and all this stuff. And like, maybe something gets lost in the mail. So by the time all this is done, I made way less than I thought I did. So even the ones where you really knock it out of the park, the amount of profit you're putting in your pocket is not as strong as you thought it was going to be and keep that in mind when you're doing this type of stuff um and i'm pretty sure like i half wrote that to tell everyone who complained about finance and like how much money we're making like i wrote that as a backdoor to them to shut the hell up like do you see how much work we put in and like it's not like just this card went from three dollars to thirteen dollars and suddenly i made ten dollars like that's not how this works um I, I guess I, I feel like I'm guilty of not really adhering to that wisdom <laughs> lately because at this point it's like I maybe because the barriers have been dropped a little bit. It's not as much work to get rid of them anymore. Um, it's a little easier to just take like 40 and 50 percent increases and just move along and not worry about it. I don't. Remember. It was a Gave Guru of Spores, by the way. There we go. I knew it was something like that. And then uh, I, I don't know if you wanted to. Here, the other thing that I've, I've linked a bunch, but you literally wrote a piece about how to dress for GP Vegas. Oh, God. People got so angry at me for that. <laughs> yes, I recall. The, to, to label my writing arrogant and then write that piece is something else. But yeah, that 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 was written tongue in cheek. <laughs> well, I remember somebody brought it up. Uh, it was pre discord. I don't remember when it got uh, brought up, but somebody was like, Travis should write about this. And Travis is like, fuck yes, I'm going to write about this. These jerks mm-hmm. need to hear about how to dress for Vegas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just like, yeah. God bless you, Travis. God yep. bless. I mean, I wrote that knowing damn well what I was doing. But I'm like, this is a chance. Like, People do not have to show up in cargo shorts and ratty video game t-shirts. And I believed that back then, and I believe that today. <laughs> All right. So if we're if we're looking forward, where, you know, you're... you're retiring into your you know conan's throne and resting on your pile of cardboard that you've accumulated along along the way um where do you think this is headed like what do you think is going to happen next 
in magic or for my relationship with magic more like like what do you think is happening and like where will magic be in and mtg finance be in five years what are your predictions oh man i mean wizards just got sold right like that happened as well i know what so what actually happened there because i did not catch that whole story uh let me wrap that up real quick so they're not sold there's one of their the hedge fund that finkel works for is agitating to try to get board seats and then part of their proposal is in terms of managing hasbro better is that wizards is a cash cow that should be spun off into its own business which would then inflate the hasbro shares that they've been holding this whole time and that haven't been doing well does that does the hedge fund that finkel works for own they must own hasbro stock yeah like 2.5 percent of hasbro so okay, a minimal amount though. Well, it's it's a lot in the in Fortune 500 circles, because they that's enough to potentially get any other large voting blocks on board and wage a proxy war to attempt to get control of the board. The idea was gotcha. that they would put Finkel and others on the Hasbro board, expand it, and then take these potential steps. And the Magic community's response was like, "Yeah, Finkel will fix like." organized play and some of us were like yeah mm. a lot of wishful thinking we did a whole podcast he's, about this yeah we did oh i'm sure and he's a hedge fund manager first yes. and a magic player second that's exactly the point i made on cast yeah uh i don't know where does magic go i mean magic again we've this is six years right that we've been doing this we've just we've just wrapped up six years and we've already talked about how different it was at the start of this than it is today so five more years, I mean, that's hard to say, right? Like, presumably Magic exp- continues to expand into the premium collectible component of the game. Um, I mean, I, I could see them dropping several constructed formats. You know, standard may standard may just flat out go away in paper. Um, I see more... St- premium product lines and various sundried items. I'm not sure beyond that. I'm not sure. I know we've talked about this on and off over the last year or two about kind of where we see it going, but those seem, those seem to be, but that all of that hinges on EDH remaining the popular way to play magic and like it being a social game. But I don't, I don't think that's going to change. I don't think I, you're not putting the genie back in the bottle on this. I don't think you're going to see magic move, pivot back towards, a serious competitive scene that prioritizes one-on-one competition. I think that's long gone. I don't think that's coming back. And I think the people that want organized play to like go back to its former glory uh, are, I, 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 I understand that wish and I'm not saying I don't share it, but I don't think you're getting it back. Um, I think that the landscape for competitive games has changed enough in the last six years already that uh there's just not enough money left in it there's also been a collapse of a lot of the kind of the grand advancement of the esports era you know there are games that are doing that you know pre-covid were doing very very well and they're you know the video game uh market is not shrinking if but if anything it's expanding during covid but the premise of video games as an esport, as opposed to the model that's more Twitch YouTube focused, is is looking more dubious outside of say the top five or ten games in the world, and that puts Magic on the outside. We we do have an OP announcement apparently coming up on the at the end of the month with Huey making the announcement. 
who has been has joined their op team he's head of op i think um so we'll see what happens there but i suspect you know what's been talked about in the discord is that that's going to turn into an echo of what people had come to expect uh, yeah yeah do you, yeah i i, I... I don't think OP is going to disappear, but it's just it's not going to look like it used to look. And their wizards will continue to stress the the social aspect. You can't sell a four hundred dollar copy of a card to a guy who's showing up to a pro level competitive event. Like they don't want that, but the people playing with their friends will pay that. So clearly, the money is in the social side. Modern. There's a lot of people who like to foil out their modern deck. There are, I mean, yes, they exist, but he's right. There's also a, a big component of people that, you know, guys who work in a game store and grind are in and out of decks based on where the meta is flowing and they're not buying foil ragavans to do it unless they think the card in question is going to be so good for so long. You know, like ragavan might be a bad example because it's not a flavor of the month. It's maybe it's going to get banned, but if it doesn't, it's a staple forever. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I agree. I used to just try and foil all my crap, too, in modern, what have you. But, I mean, I was definitely a, a minority. And, I mean, I mean, it's pretty clear that Wizards is making a lot more money selling this, selling identity pieces to pleat people um, rather than, you know, the competitive stuff. Especially with the way the competitive scene kind of is less important today than it was in the past. It's even harder. I mean, yeah, foiling your modern deck was more reasonable back when that was like the premier format. And that was like the main way people like established players played magic, but that's not true anymore. So it's a lot less relevant. So if you had, if you had one parting statement, one lingering piece of advice you wanted to saddle our listeners with as you fade into glory, do you have any sage words? I don't know. I think I think the one that has always stuck with me is, and it's not even mine, it's that there's always more around the corner. So you don't need to make any, ra- any decisions that you feel um, rushed on or you don't need that you're not sure about there's 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 been a, always been another spec the following week you can always return to good specs if they're still good um and and getting too aggressive is a really good way to buy cards that were a bad choice um the fomo can really strike when it seems like something is going to be a hot uh, is going to pop but more often than not, you're totally fine just skipping this one and waiting for the next one that feels good or that you're better positioned for. Uh, I think that's a, an important one for people to remember. I guess the other one is uh, don't get high off your own supply, maybe. maybe that's not the right way to put it. <laughs> don't huff your own farts. Like I, The other major <laughs> failure I've seen from people over and over and over over the years is decide thinking something's good and then trying to convince themselves and everyone around them that it's good, which is a really good way to talk yourself into making a bad choice. Um, and this is the, you don't really want to let pride and emotions get wrapped up in like good specs, because again, that's how you make bad choices. Um, you know, rely on 
useful critical feedback from others because if your choice is good, you will probably find other people who agree with you and it will reinforce it. But if everyone is telling you that like this isn't really a good choice, uh, there's probably a reason for that and you will benefit from being able to, 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 to see that through clearly, which is a hard thing to do as a human being. Uh, but, but I'm sure, I'm the, sure the pro the traders, mind of, I'm sure the pro traders yeah, will, be, about to say. will be more than happy to guide your busy hands when you decide to check in and get some tips. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed the cast for the six years. Um, but it's, you know, you, you guys need someone who can really devote the, their whole, really devote their time to this, um, and, and be on top of everything. And I, I'm not going to be able to provide that. And I don't want to be on the show every week, you know, providing feedback and, and having, and, um, I, I, I still have strong fundamentals, but there's just too many moving pieces for me to stay on top of. And, you know, you guys deserve better than that. So I think now for, for a while, at least it's a good time to take a step back and, and deal with all this family stuff. Uh, I have no idea what my presence here will look like in the future. I haven't really thought that far ahead. James, you mentioned people going on vacation. So, I mean, I mean that's certainly possible. Um, I can't commit to this on a weekly basis, but maybe here and there I can fill in if necessary. I'm not going to say uh, no to that. So I don't really have any idea what my, my presence will look like over the next however long. Yeah, the, uh, the door is wide open for, for my co-founder of of this uh, solid body of work. So obviously we will certainly try to loop you in on vacations and monopolize your time for a little bit, but it'd also be good to have you around for some interviews or set reviews or when we're doing something special. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly keep me in mind. I can't make, can't make any promises, but uh, I'll be happy to still feel like someone cares enough to hear what I have to say. Uh, I'll still be on Twitter. I'll still be on, well, I'll still be on Twitter. Um, I maybe I might end up posting more about magic on Twitter than I do today. Like, I think my tweeting about magic slowed down when we were doing the cast every week because I was putting all of my magic time into the cast. Maybe I'll tweet more about magic. Maybe I won't. I don't know. I'm still out there. Um, probably more politics than anything else at this point. Uh, so, but I'm, I'm still available and, uh, I may or may not be hanging around the discord. I'm not sure about that yet either. So, uh, I'm out there if anyone desperately needs to talk to me about something. All right, brother. It's uh, thank you huge for on behalf of the staff and the pro traders and all the listeners who have yet to pro trade. Um, I'm sure everybody would want me to give you uh, a virtual round of applause and a huge thank you for six years of excellent podcast work and over a decade of uh, MTG Finance content. Thank you. God, it has been, hasn't it? June 21st, 2013 was his first article on MTG Price. So just under nine years. Yeah, I had to look it up because I, I, re I remembered it was about a month before I started. So I was always like, oh, he beat me by like four weeks. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate everyone, uh, your, your well wishes here. And uh, I've really enjoyed my time. Um, thank you to your to both and um, James especially. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's bittersweet, but it is it is necessary at this point in my life. We wish you all the best with the little ones and career, and hopefully getting some stuff sold on TCG Player before it uh, you're the last person standing. Yeah, yeah, I am absolutely not done with Magic Finance because I have uh, a lot of. I literally just opened a box of Magic cards worth somewhere between ten and twenty thousand uh, <laughs> dollars, and that's just to add to what's already in my house. So, 
I am not done with this. I am just not recording every week. I can't afford to ignore it because I would lose a chunk of money if I just threw it all in the basement and never thought about it. Again. As anybody who gets who ends up turning their hobby into a business will tell you, there's no escaping it. There is a certain gravity well that develops in your inventory when you and suddenly you wake up one day and realize that a significant chunk of the value of your assets is in objects that can be lit on fire. Oh yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> Actually, this is these they don't burn very easily. Magic cards more kind of melt than anything. <laughs> you know, this, that that I mean that's this is a good a good rider here, a good stinger is that it is not easy to get out of this. I mean, First of all, a good portion of my inventory is uh, some portion of my inventory is um, non-English. A lot of it's Japanese, which you, it's very hard to buy a list, at least domestically. So, like, I can't just dump all that into Star City or whomever. They're not going to pay anything. So I couldn't get rid of that if I wanted to. And even if, like, easily. And even if I get rid of all the English stuff, like, most of that's not going to pay that well. So, like, I'd, I'd probably break even-ish or, 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 like, I'd make a – because a lot of stuff just hasn't moved yet. Um, you know, I'd probably come out ahead to some extent, but it wouldn't be great in terms of returns. So I, my point here is that, you know, this stuff turns into a job pretty easily, and you're going to find yourself with a huge chunk of cards. And if you ever get bored of it, it's way too much money to ignore and forget about, right? It's not like you got into woodworking and then you got bored of it and put down your chisels and your planes and whatever, and you walked away from a couple hundred bucks worth of tools that you can resell. Like this is way too much money for most of you guys to just abandon. So there's 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 no quick off ramp here, unless you happen to know somebody willing to buy your collection. But even then, you're not gonna get out that far ahead. Well, and the reality is I've been in that situation for the last five years on the toy side of things. Because before I was in an MGG Finance pre, when I was launching the Shelf Life platform, uh, and hunting around for funding on that around 2009, 2010, I had gotten into buying and selling toys at San Diego Comic-Con uh, type conventions. And I have tens of thousands of dollars of that inventory left over, even though I've made some efforts to get rid of it. And it still takes up the better part of a room. So yeah, ex exiting is not easy because you en always end up rolling over into other activities. All right. Yeah, that that is a real concern for me because I don't want to let <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars atrophy here. There's also um, the lack of sleep from knowing our significant others will never have any idea what to do if COVID claims us <laughs> on a two week. Oh, is, my wife and I have talked about that. Like, I, I was going to say you haven't had that conversation, James. I've, I've had it, but she's like, you know, they they half listen while you explain what to do with this card and that card. The, oh, the, actually, so, I just told them uh, to to look up uh, one of you two and just like accept whatever they would offer you for what I've got. Did you actually tell them? That? I've I've actually told my significant other that. I was so just like, like James and Travis. Yeah, these guys that I'm on the Discord with all the time and we're always talking about. Yeah, just find them. You know, look at the documents and even look them up on Twitter and just be like, here's here's his database. Just whatever money they throw at you, that, that's what you should probably take. They'll feel bad about lowballing you, probably. Yeah, I, I, I have uh, oh, I, several of our friends have been invested magic players. So I was like, if I just died, like go to them. They won't yeah. know what this stuff is worth, but they'll know who to talk to, right? Like it either, it's either going to be James or it's going to be, you know, go to one of our friends and they'll help you connect. Yeah, you got to tell, tell your partner this stuff. And oh, I've also had the, if the house is on fire and I'm not home, this is the box to leave the house with. <laughs> Out of nice. all the magic cards, pick this box up. Yeah. Yeah. 
baby and baby's under both arms in a backpack with this box on it right right leave the computer there's nothing there this box right here is it's, it's their it's college 20, fund it's a quarter of the house pick this up when you leave <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep 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 all right re- read us out one more read me out one more time here james where can people find you online travis I am still on Twitter with the hashtag at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, which I will add, James had to ask me what my Twitter handle was at the start of this cast. It's really amazing that he had to ask you this after six <laughs> I, years I, I'm of just listening to what it is. I'm just super tired today because Alara got me up at like 6 a.m. <laughs> uh, He's not, pl- not pleased. Cliff, where can I where can uh, they find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Word of Commander or my uh, Friday articles on mtgprice.com. And you can find me online at MTG Critic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. Also, like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. And I suppose there's a $7.99 monthly option as well. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and get you one out of 20 plaques from Japan. That's a, that's a guarantee. Guarantee. Hold to it. It's legally binding. <laughs> Once again, one last time, for me anyways, it's not the last time for our partnership, just me. MTG Fast Finance is probably sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, or that's the number five, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That brings us to the end of episode, I actually didn't see what episode number this 315. is, 3.15. And my final regular appearance on the show. I have really enjoyed my time. Thank you, gentlemen, both. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Right back at you, Travis. Thank you, Cliff. And we'll see all of the rest of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.